Guys, I know you want to get right to it. So uh, without further ado, let's bring on our guests. So we have Mikey Jenny from Little Light Studios joined us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, we had a good time last time, so I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, welcome, Mikey. I'm glad you're here. We also have uh, someone new to the podcast, Jared Bowling from Bible Prophecy Made Clear. Is that right? Did I get that right? That's right, Brother Sean. All right. Welcome, brother. And then we also have Wes Blaze from Wes Blaze Music. Hello, my brother. Yeah, welcome. So happy to be here. Thank you all for joining us. And guys, um, all of these gentlemen's channels are going to be in the video description below. So make sure you go subscribe to those channels, okay? Um, guys, welcome. We're going to have a fun topic tonight. Dude, right. I love your intro, brother. That was awesome. <laughs> I, was, I was cracking it up. I've never seen it. Uh, do you usually have that? Which one? uh the very very beginning of oh okay that, that's with a, a, yeah with the censored coming up mm -hmm. and the fun yeah. music with bumblebee um that's actually uh a commercial that we've made for the new social media video hosting platform that uh, i've been consulting on for the past year so mm -hmm. i'm working with some folks and there it's called lighthouse it's going to be a a true competitor to youtube facebook and etsy all integrated into one easy to use platform. And oh. so that's, that's one of our first commercials we just released recently. And we're about to, you know, we're going into our beta testing later this month and getting mm -hmm. ready for a live release to the general public. So, well, make sure you uh, tell your editor of whoever did that intro that uh, it was definitely funny. Enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. I think he's probably watching right now, so he'll appreciate <laughs> your compliment. Yeah. We loved it too. He's really talented um, guys. Hey, First off, before we start talking, guys, I know everyone everyone's probably seen the thumbnail, right? We're going to be talking about some heavy issues tonight. But the cool thing about these particular guests is they're all mature in the faith, so they can talk about heavy issues and any slight differences we may have in our understanding about those issues uh, without turning into some kind of political talk show where everyone's screaming at each other, right? So right. this is actually more along the lines of, you know, we're chilling on the back porch, sitting around a fire. Everyone's just having a good time talking about scripture. Uh, you guys just get to watch us do this as, from an audience perspective. So before we start in general, though, exactly right. Warm up to the fire of the word, right? <laughs> so uh, West Blaze, you, you just wanted to reaffirm to the audience, right? Kind of how much all four of us actually do have in common. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's such a rare thing, too. In today's world, in today's sections of social media groups, um, like we find so often that it's hard to get along with people because they like to make certain issues such a contentious topic. Whereas we all have many things that we have very vast different understandings on uh, amongst the four of us, really uh, the two sides, right? But there are so many things that we're, we're gonna discuss later, but um, also things that I'd like to remind everybody and give a foundation for, for the viewers and for us to remind ourselves of that we do agree on and have some foundation in. And so we do all believe the Bible is true that the God of the Bible is the one true God and that Jesus is the son of that God and that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
we all agree that our blessed hope is that first resurrection event when Christ returns at the seventh trumpet. We agree that salvation is given by the grace of God through faith and that nothing we can do is capable of resurrecting ourselves into immortality. We all have the common ground that we do believe God gave instructions that are still applicable to his people, including that we all adhere to the seventh day Sabbath on the day that is now called Saturday. And we agree that when we die, we don't go straight to heaven or hell and that the common doctrine of eternal conscious torment is contrary to what the scriptures present, as well as we all do agree that the kingdom of heaven is coming down to earth. Awesome, brother. Awesome. 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 All right, guys. Um, who, I, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> I think, I think well, Wes Blaze wants to lead this out. Cause he was the one like, let's get together, man. Come on. We got to talk about this stuff. So where do you want to go with this, man? Um, the topics that we had, uh, you know, discussed getting into are definitely going to lead us one into another. I think they're all very connected. I know me and Mikey have been talking about all this, many of these things for quite some time now. Me and Jared just recently started discussing some of them, had a great phone call the other night. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll say this though, Mikey Jenny um, is somebody that when I first came into the faith, right? I got baptized. I found out that I, that we don't live on a spinning ball shooting through space. And that led me to realize that the scriptures were absolutely true. And so once I was, I got a good grasp on biblical cosmology and uh, you know, that, that there is truth contained in the Bible that have, has been hidden from us. I was kind of like at a point where I was trying to figure out where to go next. What else is, is in here that I need to be studying out. And Mikey was who brought me to the realization that, that God does have, have instructions for his people that he, he still asks us to keep and that uh, the Sabbath had a big importance in that. And and I, I would just want to thank Mikey for that, because uh, if it weren't for him, who knows who I would have started studying alongside, you know, and alongside with and what I would have been believing. But thank you, brother. Iron sharpens iron, brother. Thank you, man. We yeah, I remember the first thing I ever saw. It was uh, on your it was a. Uh, Messengers of the Mo or not Messengers of the Most High. What do you call it? Me yeah, Mess Messengers of the Truth or Messenger of the Most High. Yeah. Messenger of the Most High. And it was a, a meme that showed like somebody burning in flames and it was like hell is a long time or eternity is a long time or something. I was like, hey man, I want to show you some scriptures about that. And he was like, whoa. And and so I was like, hey man, uh, you know, check out my video about the mark of the beast and it had to do with the Sabbath and stuff. And he was like, Wow, this is making some sense. But you know, in in that meeting over time we've had a lot of cool conversations and you show me a lot of stuff that i never saw before and it gives us something to you know the bible would be boring if we didn't get to you know seek and and try to figure stuff out man i, I love being challenged it's so cool it's certainly a lot more fun when we have each other to uh to edify each other with and, and discuss so if you wouldn't mind mikey just uh what's the ministry you work with and um what have you guys been doing over there real quick so I work at Little Light Studios. If you guys haven't heard of it, check it out. We, The ministry started 10 years ago exposing Gnostic doctrines that are pushed in Hollywood movies. Basically, the the founder was in Hollywood for 10 years and came out, came back to God. And a youth pastor was like, hey, uh, why don't you talk to the young people and, and, and tell the gospel through a movie or something, you know? And this pastor was thinking, you know, show Superman and show how he's like Jesus or something. And so Scotty was praying about it. And he was like, what am I going to, what am I going to talk about? And the veil fell off, the scales fell off his eyes. And he saw that every movie he put in 
was a blatant attack against God. Now, if you don't believe that, check out our videos. You'll see it over and over and over from the Lego movie, the Ugly Dolls, the Batman, like all these movies. The good guy is the Dark Knight, the evil guy, right? The, the good guy is the Dark Knight. And all the villains have these character traits of God in one way or another. Two Faces Lair, you guys should check it out. Two Faces Lair. Oh, the sanctuary. Dude, it's yeah. the sanctuary straight up. There's the the menorah. There's a flaming animal. There's like a face. A crown. All of the crown of thorns. Like, it's crazy. Batman, the Dark Knight, the, the artist said he was based off of a demon. And he's the one that's going against... Uh, these these villains that are like in the sanctuary and things like that is yeah. pretty interesting. So I've been with them for three years and it's just been a dream come true. And check it out, guys. You guys do such professional quality, high quality work over there, got man. Like if y'all haven't checked out, my favorite one when I first got into Little Light Studios, they did this breakdown of the Avengers Endgame movie where they showed out Thanos had all the qualities of of Yahweh, the high, the Most High God, and then all the the uh, heroes, quote unquote, in the movie were are just copies of uh, pagan gods, just reinterpretations of of pagan gods. And they have a replacement gods documentary that was awesome about comic books. Definitely worth checking out. The one that I really like that you guys might really like, too, is their one on Star Wars. They Star compare Wars. Uh, Darth Vader and the high priest and the stones that are on Darth Vader's front. And there's Hebrew written on his. Oh, man. His yeah. yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, and little light studio, dark father, Vader, you know. So he's the father that's out there in the cosmos, that's kind of all powerful being and chokes people without touching them and stuff, you know. And, and and the good guy is the leader of the rebellion, who is Luke, which means light in some way. So you know, you think of Lucifer, people associate Lucifer with with Satan and the rebellion and all that. So you just think about it. You you side with the rebellion against the father who has the chest plate and all that. So. It's weird, right? What about you, Jared, man? Uh, everybody, welcome Jared Bowling to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Um, well, I was raised a Catholic, you know, and uh, came to the truth when I was 15, started going to some Revelation series. Uh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, I love the ministry. I love souls. I love his word. Uh, been to Iraq and back. Um, been married now for 16 years and got four kids. Thank you for your service, sir. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. They help Little Light a lot too, man. He he is a professional thumbnail maker, man. If you you look at some of these big um, ministries, big YouTubers, and he's done a lot of the thumbnails for those guys, and he taught us how to do ours and all the little tips and tricks on how to make our channel grow grow, yeah. and it's been growing. Yeah. Um, there's great Mike, thumbnails. Yeah. Mikey, Mikey and I, we uh, recorded last year and I've been, I haven't put anything out on my channel, but I've been editing for a long time and then coronavirus hit and Mikey, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the uh, show on YouTube, it's secular, but it's called a uh, hot ones. Mm -hmm. It's where like the uh, celebrities YouTube are interviewed and then they start with like, you know, hot wings, and then it gets spicier and spicier oh, and spicier yeah, yeah. until you're up to like two million Scoville. And so, Mikey and I, we did this thing where uh, we talk about Hellfire not burning forever. And, uh, you know, we start at the lowest, hottest wing or lowest rating wing, and then it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And I tell you what, I've got some crazy edits, and hopefully, I can get this done before Christmas. That's that's my goal. 
What I put together was just so inter- entertaining and enjoyable. I I can't wait until <laughs> that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Jared had to throw up after that one. Uh, <laughs> I bet you guys look like you were dying on your way to Shield. Yeah, dude. <laughs> lots of sweat and lots of dabbing. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't stop sweating until like six hours later. <laughs> <laughs> Wes Blaze, I know you are a Christian rapper, brother, but you weren't always a Christian rapper. Let's hear a little bit of your story. Okay, okay. So uh, yeah, I was always wanting to be a the famous rapper that everybody sees in the music videos on BET and MTV, right? And um, I was uh, always somebody that felt that I had been blessed with some talents. I just never knew where they came from until I had, uh, you know, got to the point where somebody offered to take me to get baptized. I had always had that, you know, mustard seed of faith, at least to where I, I had interest and I, I held on to some faith, you know, to, to get to that point. And then, so when that was brought up to me, I said, yeah, I always, always wanted to do that. I'll take you up on that offer. And the next thing you knew, um, even though I still had doubts and questions, I prayed to have those doubts relieved and those questions answered. And within the next few months, God used a very unique path that I've noticed is happening for a lot of other people where he showed me the truth of the creation of the, his creation model that he designed for us to live in. And then that led me to realize the validity of the scriptures, that it had been true this whole time and that the, the rulers of the world had been hiding the truths that it contained. And so uh, here I am now with still a lot of the same talents, but using them in a way to where I, I can be a, as a witness and serve as a testimony to to help share and get other people's interest uh, in, in the word and in the things of God. And that's my my mission nowadays. Amen. And you've actually been able to kind of connect with ODD, which is huge, man, because a lot of us truthers have been watching his channel and and we're like hearing him say so many good things and we're like dude god is after you man just you know you got jesus wants you brother and he was just like yeah the bible's got some truth but maybe not all of it and and once he like started opening his mind to christianity he reached your way which is cool man you god gave you something where you could connect with him man and that's cool it was a blessing it was an answer to so many of our prayers i know for sure we had been hoping that guy could uh get the scales removed a little more for sure. Yeah. It's an interesting paradigm, right? When someone goes after truth in general, how long before they get to the truth of the creator and his son? Seeking mm. stuff on, right? Because like they're just they're following Romans 1, 19 and 20 from a philosophical standpoint and a motivation in their heart and their mind. So how long before they start to realize it's all it's all relevant to the Father and the Son and and uh you know the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Son. So it's just like to me, there's a there's a breaking point that people that go that call themselves truthers and they go on that quest and they start to realize maybe we have been lied to about certain things in our society. And when they start trying to figure out what's a lie and what's true, and what can be tested and what cannot be tested, you know, like I've seen so many of them gravitate towards scripture at that point because it's just it's um it seems inevitable <laughs> to quote to quote Thanos, right? His inevitability, right? That you would find yourself uh, stepping into the knowledge of God. And at that point, you have to deal with your heart, right? Do you do you want to reject your sin? Do you want to acknowledge your sin is actually sin so that you can reject it and, uh, and accept you know, the love of God and the salvation his son provides? Or do you just stay in your denial? And I think that is a road that a lot of truthers are walking. And, uh, and if you're watching this right now, and that's why we just described you, hey, reach out to us. We'd be happy to tell you more about 
more about Christ than what our videos collectively already do. So, you know, just a open call to everybody. But guys, yeah. speaking of Christ, speaking of God, the father, speaking of the truth in general, um, a lot of people really wonder what happens when you die. It's mm, a big yeah. question for a lot of people before they come to um, faith in Jesus. And, and Jared, Hey, you know, growing up, I'll be, you know, I've heard one of the things that I had to realize was how much Catholic influence had was in Protestant teachings, doctrines, and churches. That's right. And, and one of those Catholic influences is their narrative of what happens when you die. What, what do you guys think about that concept of what happens when you die? Well, well, I, I think if we back it up a little bit and if we look at how, uh, I mean, Catholics are great, wonderful people. We're just talking about the theology and the system. But during the Dark Ages, uh, when you restrict mankind from reading the Word of God, then it gives you the ability to poison the minds of many, many people. I mean, uh, if you were caught reading the Word and you were not authorized by the church to read it, you could be killed right there and then. So everyone's going along with whatever is said, being said right there and then. And so you have all of these interesting beliefs uh, coming into the church. And I mean, also you have the Catholic church changing the Sabbath from Saturday and Sunday. So there's a lot of nasty stuff that is going on. Uh, you have to go to a man for forgiveness instead of to the savior himself. So, um, uh, yeah, in fact, Jared didn't didn't the Catholic Church, in addition to trying to change the the official day of Sabbath during the week, they also tried to change was it the second commandment, mm -hmm. and then they yeah, they took yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. tenth commandment and tried to make it basically two. two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 in fact, the fourth commandment being the Sabbath, which brought it down to the third. Um, I think it's I think the whole sentence in is like ninety eight words, and then they subtracted it to about nine or eight words. So they just totally just ripped it out. Yeah. So um, they Daniel seven twenty five where it says that he will think to change times and laws. laws. Yeah. Because isn't the full command um, for in six days he created heavens and the earth, therefore there should be rest on the Sabbath, right? So they took that part out of the command. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I um, I would have to check out my Catholic Bible, but they just simplified it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like just to honor. The Sabbath day or something like that. Because that would make a lot of sense if they took that part of the commandment out as well, since you have the Catholic priest come up with the Big Bang and infuse this heliocentric model, which assumes evolution, which suddenly goes against the narrative of a literal six-day creation. That's true. Yep. And then you got Christians trying to say, well, a day is a thousand years, and so maybe yep. six days is actually a thousand years. So that means that God commanded to remember the seventh thousandth day every <laughs> <laughs> year. It's and tough. if you want to go with it, saying that each day is a thousand years or a million years, uh, I believe the plants came before the uh, sun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Right. Water. Thank yes, you. You're right. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, plants can't go that long without that form of nourishment. So you're not able to. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. And what thing I think, too, is that a lot of the people that try to you know, theorize how that six days of creation wasn't six literal days. We'll also tell you that it was only three literal days that right. Jesus died and was resurrected, you know? Right. Well, because West plays, that's the Greek. The Greek isn't the Hebrew yom. They can do whatever they want with the yom, but once you oh, get to the Greek, they can't do anything. Yeah. Being facetious, of course, but right. um, yeah, that's, that's some of the arguments that we hear, right? That try to infuse confusion. Yeah. When you um, read 
fourth commandment it says for as in the you know for as in god made heaven and earth in seven days or something. six days and rested on seven like it takes you back to creation right there yeah, that's it's right a memorial for creation in that regard and i was pointing that out to you the other night jared when we were talking and you're like wow i hadn't thought of it that way yeah yeah i lo- i love that i love that because when you get outside of your bubble and then you start sharpening your sword with some other brothers in faith uh man i tell you what it builds it builds you up and I think that's what I really like about this uh, collective group right here is that we have these 10 pillars that we can all agree on, mm-hmm. uh, the 10 commandments. And um, so we're talking about the beginning of time and the Sabbath. And then I'm thinking of the end times also and Sabbath. And I was wondering if we could go to um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And um, <clears throat> what I really like about this is, uh, all right, good. <laughs> and he'll says, on it to make it bigger. <laughs> Amen. All right. So uh, it says, so the dragon was enraged. We know that the dragon is uh, Satan with the woman. Um, I, d- I don't know for sure what your guys' understanding is of the woman, but I would say that the woman would be uh, not a certain denomination, but the church of uh, believers. And the dragon went to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony. Um, I think I think this is a very, very powerful verse because in the end times, the dragon is going to be waging war with uh, God's remnant people. Um, these are the people that keep the Ten Commandments. It's you and me. He, he is literally going to wage war because of our worship with the Savior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong, but do you guys believe that this woman here is the the New Jerusalem city? I know you think the bride is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do personally. Okay. I know that uh, a lot of people like that. We, I mean, we had a discussion, Westblaze and I, and with two other brothers, had a discussion about this like three weeks ago. Well, um, I have or, a question. Who, in, in contrast, there's a harlot. So who's what is the harlot? Is that a some kind of city as well? Well, it's yeah. It's you mean the Revelation seventeen Mother Babylon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So see, I, I would look at it like that. Yeah, I know that it does talk about the city as being a bride, but all throughout the Bible, you see that God would call His people. He would say that they were going a whoring after strange gods. Mm-hmm. That they were. You know, straying away from his commandments, he would he would call him a whore, and he we know that he's the bridegroom. He's coming for his bride. Well, the father called Israel metaphorically likened unto his wife, mm-hmm. but but the son, Revelation twenty one nine and ten says the the lamb's wife mm-hmm. is the city, the New Jerusalem. That's right. So there's a difference between father and son, right? You you guys, do y'all do y'all hold the belief that the father and son are two distinct characters? Yeah. Good one. Well, I mean, three and one technically, but yeah, I mean, they're, so, like, for, they're so Jerry, like if you walked into a room and, and the father was there and the son was there, would you be talking to one person or two different people? Two. Okay. So, yeah. So, we, so then we're on the same page with that. So, yeah. the promises about um, the, son, the, the wife of the lamb is that you get the city. This is Isaiah 54 17, Isaiah 62 4 and 5. The, the God of the city, which is Yeshua. Um, who's who's given the, all the authority of heaven and earth from the Father? 
he is his wife is the lamb or excuse me his wife is the city and this is whom we also as since we're under yeshua we're under christ and we're brought into the land of promise which is the new jerusalem the city at, at the resurrection uh, this is where we're under his authority this is why romans 8 29 talks about him being the first of many brethren he's obviously our king our lord our god he's our high priest even which is a which is a position of authority and so that's why Isaiah, Isaiah 62, 4 and 5 says that your God will marry you, speaking to Zion, the land, and your sons will marry you, speaking to those he brings in with him, the resurrected saints. This is why you'd have that Revelation 21, 9 and 10 moment where the son's wife is the city. That's what that's that uh, covenant that's happening at the resurrection. But the son, the son is the leader of Israel, right? I guess we all agree that Romans 10 and 11, right? That when you come into faith and belief, you're grafted into Israel. Yeah as a moniker yeah. so therefore the son is the king of israel he's the leader of all of us we are grafted into israel under his authority so therefore the son and all the resurrected saints are metaphorically joined with the father as jesus prayed in john 17 right that they may be one as you and i are one mm -hmm. so we're joined in that that metaphor so this is that similar to that metaphor of the old testament where the father spoke to israel like he was a husband to them like he talks about in jeremiah but the son, specifically, his wife is the city. That's the inheritance of Isaiah 54, 17. Does that make okay. any sense? So so what you're saying is that the woman in Bible prophecy symbolically resembles a city. And so then my question is, is... Well, it would ask you which chapter, though. You have to figure out. Because in chapter 12 of Revelation, that's, that's the conclusion we've come to. But... The woman's well, also spoken about in yeah, well, Isaiah Revelation 12, 1 through 6. And, you know, you have the woman that's about to give birth to the man child. Right. So who is that woman and who is the child? Yeshua, Jesus is the man child. Because mm -hmm. remember, he was, he was birthed of the spirit. Mm -hmm. So this is where all of the resurrected saints were birthed of the spirit of God at the resurrection. Mm -hmm. We're not given corruptible fleshly bodies. We're given this new created body, right? This glorified body, yeah. Romans eight nineteen, And therefore that's where we're birthed. Just like Yeshua was birthed of that same power source, which is God's spirit flowing through the, the city. If that's, if I could put it like that. So <clears throat> because if it were the body of believers, the church, then how do we give birth to, to the man child? Joseph, Mary, uh, and then you also have uh, his um, aunt and uncle, and then you also have the believers of the time, the shepherds. This is the uh, Christian. Well, um, Revelation chapter twelve, um, when it talks about the woman that is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her crown the twelve stars, mm -hmm. and she, being with child, cried, travailing right. in birth. Right. And uh, where is the new Jerusalem now? In heaven, right? Right. The third firmament. Yeah. According to so, First Corinthians 12, be the third firmament. But wait, if Christ is coming for his bride and she's already in heaven. Well, uh, you're 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 calling the people the bride. Christ is coming for the resurrected saints, but yeah. his bride is is named to us in Revelation 21, 9 and 10 as the city. In New Jerusalem. Yeah, then, that statement of Christ coming for his bride, uh, like where like what scripture are you referring to when you say that? Oh, I don't know. Well, I think um, to, to Jared's question, it's even right here in Revelation 12, 17, like we read, 
the woman is distinct from her children. Yes. Right. So there's a there's a metaphor that's being played upon right here, right? And that there's the children are different from the woman. Well, there's there's the uh there's the body of believers. Okay, there is the true church and then there is the remnant people. It's like there's the church and then there's the people, you know, the steeple and the people. But uh, in Revelation 12, 6, it says, and the woman fled into the wilderness. How can a city flee into the wilderness? Well, there is uh, it's Isaiah 54, and it's it's it, I can go there. This is this is way off topic from what we were originally going to talk about. I know, right? We, uh, we can, I can go there and explain it to you. I've done entire shows on it. No, 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 no. Um, just in Revelation 12, 6. Well, you remember, Revelation is built upon everything the prophets already explained to us. So yeah. if we're, it, we, we find ourselves in a um, theological pitfall if uh, we try to understand the back of the book without properly understanding the front of the book. Agreed. Well, what do you, what do you okay. think about the parable of the ten virgins? As that's referring to like believers, right? They're virgins that are trying well, to sure, get sure. Sure, everyone needs to have their lant, their you know lantern oil lit oil. and their oil ready for the resurrection, right? You want to be yeah. you don't want to be caught on here you don't see the pure white bride in revelation as being like that virgin that's trying to get to the wedding. And the harlot is literally another group of people that are worshiping falsely, just like he called them going a whoring. That's what I see. I see that God has a true people that are pure white and he's coming back for them. And then there's this harlot, which is those who are going a whoring. They're Christian, but they're it's false. You know? Yeah. You have the harlot with her daughters. And then you also have uh, what, what verse are you guys going off of? Um, Specifically, when you said pure white bride, I know that the the robes that are given to the resurrected saints are are made white. Yeah, right. We're, we're virgins, spotless, chastened virgins. Yeah, it's Revelation. Yeah, I, just, I see the terminology all throughout the Bible that we are to be like chastened virgins, spotless. That we shouldn't be going a whoring. So to me, it just made sense, but. There I think it can kind of coexist our our ideas, maybe. Sure. We will be in the city. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. We're actually uh, Isaiah um, 49 verses 14 through 18 is a parallel with Revelation 19 verse 7 and 8, where it talks about the bride, which is the city binds on jewels. And that's the resurrected saints with the robes of righteousness. So we're we as resurrected, glorified, shining lights who are glorified um, at the resurrection, we're taken into the city. And that metaphor is talked about in, in Isaiah 49, Revelation 19, as the bride has made herself ready and she's bound on with these jewels. So this is why in the very next you know couple of chapters, it, it literally tells you the bride of the lamb is the city in multiple places. It says, so, I'll show you the lamb. I'll show you yeah. the bride of the lamb. And it, yeah. it took them away and showed them the city. Um, go so ahead. ultimately, ultimately though, I like the, you know, the, the whole concept is, um, very close it's just we start parceling out the details of the metaphors a lot of folks will conflate the metaphors due to trinitarian theologies because mm. they make the father and the son the same person and so therefore the metaphors apply to the father they conflate that with the metaphor that applies to the son so getting back onto women in the bible being a city what do you do with the hundred and forty four thousand that are not defiled with women are they not defiled with cities or are they not defiled with the Sunday churches or the daughters well, of Babylon? So that's assuming that the metaphor in Revelation 14 that you're applying to the to the words of a metaphor that them being defiled is speaking about a city and not literally them just never having sex. Well, 
Oh, is I it? I mean, if you look at it, I mean, Jew <laughs> men, males. Because remember the 144th. Well, I mean, we're going way off topic, guys. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. 144,000 is the millennial rank. No, well, yeah. we can, I was just sticking to the uh, talking about the women. I wasn't trying to bring up the 144 okay. because hey, hey, even, we, even we, within we, my own church, which is not a salvational issue, but even within my own church, I, I think there's about two or three different uh, theories. But there, you know, there, we there all... a lot of theories for the 144. And just so the audience, there's people uh, probably confusing the audience, guys. The reason why I'm saying this, I'm not trying to stop the conversation. But before we came on tonight, we all talked about what we were going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> this is immediately right. jumping off. Go court. ahead, let's go so, ahead and go back. I think we were just hitting with so. the Sabbath, and we were just talking about how uh, Satan is going to be attacking those right. that keep the commandments of God and have That's the right. testimony let's, of Jesus. If we could, let's go back to the first question. We got sidetracked on Catholicism, but so what have you, Mikey and Jared, your understanding, Mikey, if you would, of what happens when we die? Yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start because kind of the other or, stuff we talk about is kind of like the end of the story. So That's right. Or maybe even what the soul is. What are we first? And then what happens when we die? If you go to Genesis, Genesis two. Is it two? Okay. Um, yeah, Genesis 2, verse 7, and I can't see the screen, but I guess you're, you're pulling it up. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there's, there's certain things that we got to look at here. First off, man was made out of the dust of the ground. So his body is literally dust. Then what did God do? He breathed into where his nostrils so this is breath in his nostrils the breath of life and then man was not given a living soul but now is become a living soul so it's like ingredients like if you have if you're trying to make kool-aid or something you can have a pack of kool-aid and you can have some water but these are two ingredients that are you know meaningless until you put them together now you really have kool-aid but if you take either one of those ingredients out you no longer have kool-aid you got you got this flavored powder and you got water. And so Get the sugar, well, <laughs> not in this, not in this metaphor, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So we see that man is made out of dust and the breath of life, and then he becomes a living soul. So then if you look at Job chapter 27, verse three, we, we see this reiterated. It's a, uh, you know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So we can't make doctrines out of just one verse. Got to so keep it in context. That's right. Job says, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. So remember, in Genesis, it was the breath of life that was God's breath in Adam's nostrils. But now Job is using another word here. The spirit of God is not this conscious being, but it's the breath that's in his nostrils which makes him a living soul. So uh, a lot of times the confusion is that people say, well, everyone has an immortal soul. So where does it go when you die? It's got to go somewhere. Well, I don't see any scripture that says man has an immortal soul. I see that the gift of God is everlasting life. And we put it on, put on immortality at the last trump. But everywhere else, I see that what James says, um, the, the body without breath, is dead, you know. So, Mikey, I agree that we don't have an immortal soul in that sense, but so we're just we're not talking about eternity. We're just talking about from death till judgment, right? 
So mm. then what, let me ask you, what is in your mind, what is preserved to be resurrected? You, well, it's called a resurrection. You're, you're, it's, it's described as being resurrected out of your grave or awakening. Job says, man lies down. Where is he? That He will hide in his grave until God's wrath is passed. And then he says, remember me and I will awaken out of my grave. So there's these words like awake. And where is he coming from the grave? It but we know you're right away. It says Sheol in the Hebrew right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we know that you rot away. So it's more like a recreation, I'm guessing, that God is. Uh, okay, so look at this verse. If we're talking about soul and spirit. Real quick, guys, before we go too much further, I think we're we're jumping into some assumptions because we know each other, but the audience doesn't. So what what are we actually speaking about right now? Mikey, were you making the, the point where you're trying to say that when a man dies, um, they're um, what, what were you trying to say ha exactly happens when a man dies and he loses his body? Well, I was just explaining that the, the common idea is that everybody has an immortal soul. And when you die, it's going to go somewhere right. Real, then. But real, real quick, how are you defining the term immortal soul? Cause I, from what you're defining, I've only heard a very select group of people talk <clears throat> about it like that. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean? Like, uh, I believe that a lot of people say that when you die, you have something inside you that kind of exits and it goes somewhere. That's, okay. So that's, so that's what you're defining as the, when you use the term immortal soul, that's how you're defining. That's how you're yeah. using that term. But, but people switch, switch them back and forth. They say spirit and they say soul. And you say, you show them all these verses about soul. And they're like, no, it's not the soul. It's the spirit. And you show them all these verses about spirit. And they're like, no, no, it's the soul. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to define <clears throat> what the soul and the spirit is. The, the spirit is the breath. The body is the dust, and together you have a soul. A living yeah, soul, soul, right? Soul is a living being. It's right. not a ghost. And and the spirit isn't a ghost either. It's a breath in his nostrils. Job isn't saying he's got a ghost in his nostrils. He's he's talking about the breath of life. And and if I can find this verse where it says e Ecclesiastes twelve seven says, Then shall then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, mm -hmm. and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. Now, people read this and they're like, see, your immortal spirit goes to God. But even you guys don't believe you go to God when you die. Your spirit doesn't go to God. Right. But you will return to dust. You're made of dust. You'll return to dust. This breath that is in your nostrils will return to God who gave it. But that's it. There's only two ingredients. Right. So what happens to all the collections of your experiences, your memories, uh, all the things that you'll be judged on, what happens to all that? What happens to them? Yeah. All well, that information that you've collected throughout your life, through your experiences, good and bad. What What happens to the memory on your computer when you unplug it from the wall and a year later plug it back in? Well, no, because remember that computer doesn't get destroyed and decay. <laughs> well, but but the creator can come back and bring it back, right? I, You know, I believe that. Well, doesn't it go to the cloud? If that's how you're going to pull it back to a new device? It does go to the cloud, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the things that we'll be judged on, right? Is our actual actions every word and deed? Yeah. So so what I what I'm gathering from the Bible is that when Christ returns, we are raised from the ground. Even though we're dead and rotted away, we're we're made of dust. So he brings us back and he, he brings us back in the state that you know it's gonna feel like an instant because you're unconscious of time. He calls it a sleep. And the reason it's called a sleep is not because you're taking a nap. You're not in, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys think if you're in a certain part of Hades and you're sleeping all the time, 
but it's called a sleep because it's not the final death. It's a sleep because you will awaken again. But the second death is called the second death. It's not called a sleep anymore because that's final. Right. Um, if we could go back to Genesis two for a second, brother. Sure. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if uh, I did horrible in in algebra. I think I got like a C minus. Right. If you want to highlight the verse for the uh, viewers, you you want and, verse seven again? Yes, please. Sure. And um, so what's interesting is you know in algebra the basic equation is a plus b equals c, and if you don't have a or b, then it you cannot equal c. And so A would be the dust and B would be the breath of God in order to create or equal out to C, which is the soul or the living being. And if you don't have one or the other, if you don't have the breath of God or if you don't have a body, then there is no soul. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, is, God, that, is that what the scriptures say, though? When Christ returns, that's he's gonna, what it appears to he's look like to me. Breath life together that's how god creates a soul let's let's look at some scriptures that give us a slightly different understanding okay okay so if we'll look here at um verse 8 we'll start in psalm 49 i'll start in verse 8 here where it says for the redemption of his soul is costly well i'll go into verse 7 because it comes to you a little bit context of the, of the comparison it says no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to god a ransom for him this is why we need Jesus, right? So for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and senseless alike perish, and they leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man, in his pomp, will not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning and their form shall be for Sheol to consume so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol for he will receive me. Amen. So Amen. The, the mud and, and dirt that we're made of decomposes into uh, microscopic, you know, no longer existence. There's still a soul in Sheol. Yeah. So that what's been created, that soul that's been created from that Kool-Aid mixture, now something has to be done with that. So this is why we have multiple places. Well, well, hold on, hold on before you jump there. I, I think the key part in that verse was the words perish. Because when you look up the Greek perish, it doesn't mean ability to continue to go on. Perish is no more. Right. Well, he's make, he's juxtaposing the idea of the unrighteous and the righteous. So, so the psalmist, uh, which is David uh, in this, it's suspected to be David in this psalm. Um, he's the one saying in verse 15, but God will redeem my soul mm -hmm. because the other ones, um, they'll be destroyed, right? They'll be, they'll, he is like a beast man in his pomp on an door. He's like a beast that perishes. Yeah. So the concept of is the first death. That's what all this is about. And that's why it starts off in verse seven, eight about who has the actual power or money to redeem someone's soul. No one can do that. And this is why he's saying, God will redeem my soul. And he does that through his son, Yeshua, will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. So we are talking about the soul and not the body uh, anymore. through the Because he's juxtaposing the idea that when a person's dying, suddenly your soul needs to be redeemed. Yeah, uh, but that's what I'm seeing. Like, that, Do you guys know what Sheol is, according yeah, to the Hebrews? That's what I'm yeah, looking at. Like, you're, 
you're as a living soul, you enter the grave and God has the power to bring you up out of that grave. Nobody Just else like can. Christ did yeah. to himself. So if we could clarify for both ourselves and for the viewers, when you guys say Sheol is the grave, I, I know from experience and conversation with you guys that we, we agree that Sheol is, is the resting place of the dead. Um, and in that sense is the grave. However, when you guys say it, y'all correct me if I'm wrong. You literally define it as the place where the body is buried. Correct. Wherever yeah. it may be. I mean, if it yeah, was right. in a fish's belly and that was his grave. I mean, if you're, if you die and rot, that's, that's the grave, man. Like, and that's why death and that's why in revelation, it talks about how death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire because the act of death, the act of the grave will be no more. There's no gonna, there's not going to be death anymore. It's right. gonna be but that's at the end of the story though. So we're still in the middle of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, what what in that that you read is like conflicting with because it says a soul, which we saw from Genesis, what a soul is. It's, right. it's the dust and the breath together. Once once the you die, you return to dust and the spirit goes to God who gave it. What do you do with that? Well, the spirit is what animated the dirt, right? That's yeah. why it breathed into you. So that was the animating life force that put into the dirt and created the living soul. That's why one plus one equals two. So that what's on the other side of the equal sign is the soul which is why it tells you in Genesis 2, 7, he became a living soul. Now that you become a living soul, you have to do something with that soul. So this is why in Matthew 10, 28, Yeshua tells us that do not fear man who can only kill the body and not the soul, but fear God who can cure both the body and the soul in Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. So the soul is not destroyed in Sheol. That's a different place than Gehenna. The yeah, soul is only destroyed in the lake of fire. So once the soul is created, there's only one place that can destroy it. Yeah. So I guess fire. I think it's noteworthy to mention. I'm also noticing a contrast between a the ingredients that we were just talking about making a living soul, and then in Sheol we're talking about dead souls. Is there not a contrast there that I feel like makes a point? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. When I look at how God created Adam and Eve, he he created two immortal beings who had right to the tree of life they sinned they were separated from the tree of life now they die we will not be able to continue on living until the end where we have those who keep the commandments will have right to the tree of life if you don't have right to the tree of life you don't have any more you don't put on immortality you don't have the gift of god you cannot live forever which you guys believe you believe that you'll be destroyed <clears throat> but they were why would god put something in them that was uh, immortal that must go to some holding cell after they die when death was never in the, the original design. Well, because brother, I, I, I try to make a distinction and be careful to notice that we're not talking about forever immortality or eternity. We're talking about what happens to when we die until the day of the resurrection and the judgment, which there's one, there's two, you know, before and after. So what I'm saying is if God made these two beings to live in a perfect paradise and eat this fruit to live forever, why is there something in there that escapes that death and goes to some kind of holding chamber? Why is that even, why was that created? It doesn't that's escape out, the first that's outside of the design. There was no death in the original design. So well, God was like, well, well, well me, I'm going to put this thing in them that escapes when they die, even though they're not supposed to die. You know, I don't get that. But it's, it's about the difference, what Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tries to explain to us, the difference between the earthy body and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. So we were not given the body of angels in the garden. We were intentionally made of flesh, put into a, 
a place of the garden and then kicked out of that paradise when we when we sin or, or at least our forefather right but this that he had a, he had a body of flesh this is a very important distinction to know the difference between the two different types of bodies given to angels and mankind. This is why it's such a big deal in First Timothy three sixteen that Paul tries to explain to us the, the mystery of godliness that you know Jesus was manifested in the flesh, but he existed before he was manifested in the flesh. So what, so you guys, what kind of body did he have before he was manifested in the flesh? Did you exist before your flesh? Well, I'm talking about Jesus. Okay. Well, what was the question about him? What kind of body kind did he have before he manifests in the flesh? Probably a spiritual one, I guess. Exactly. It's a, real, it's a real thing. It's a real tangible body. That's why when he's given a spiritual body at the resurrection again, which is exactly what Paul is trying to explain to us in 1 Corinthians 15, the transition from a person that's born of the, of the womb of a woman, made of the earthy, and then you're given at the resurrection, you're given a spiritual glorified body. Jesus is the first fruits Water. of the first resurrection. So he's given this body, and this is what he tells us in Luke 20, 36, that the resurrection will be made like the angels. Correct. We're, we're given that type of created body that has more capability than the than our bodies today, right? That's how I, Jesus could show up inside of a locked room and then just disappear. Luke 24, when he's breaking bread with the two disciples come back from the mass, he's got all this capability that the average person doesn't have because he's got a new body made of spirit. This but he had that the the resurrection. He had that yeah. after, so right. he so there's a transition that First Corinthians three or First Timothy three sixteen tries to tell us. You could also tie it into John one one through fourteen, right? It's the idea that Jesus was with God before he came in the flesh. Are we all in agreement on that idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That Jesus was in what existence. Was ask real quick, Jared. I noticed this quizzical look, and go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I I was just kind of I guess I was stuck on the Sheol word. And you guys see it as a place, a, a literal place of like a purgatory. Kind what of do you, what like do you define as purgatory? I don't know, yeah. like a in betweeny. I, <laughs> I don't know what yeah, the, I feel like that's <laughs> one of those Catholic things that kind of crept into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no yeah. Protestant will tell you it's purgatory. They'll say no, we don't believe in purgatory. Yeah, if you go somewhere I, into the judgment, it's like that's purgatory. But but I'm well. But purgatory I'm specifically the, uh, had a had a specific thing with purgatory, right? You had yeah. to literally pay penance to get out, and your family had to do good with yeah. the with the church before you were considered released from purgatory. Well, so there's a very different, different uh, thing, very different than what the Hebrews described as Sheol. So right. so when I look at the Hebrew of the word Sheol, it literally mm-hmm. says in the in the Strong's the grave. Well, there's more than one definition, right? What else does it say? Right. I'd be interested to to look at that as well. The abode of the dead, that's the grave. I mean, there's a bunch of dead bodies down there. I mean, the abode of the departed spirits, it says. Yeah. Departed spirits. It With does say that. That's that one. That's not the strong zone, I guess. <laughs> on on uh, BibleHub.com, if you look at the strongest concordance, if you could put that on screen, that'd be awesome. I'm trying to go there. That like one birds? and Hades both say similar things because it's the same place. Hades and Sheol, Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades well, in the Greek. Remember also that the author that wrote hate that when he said Hades, he was speaking to the Greeks. He was speaking their own language to them, With and them. the Greeks believed in the Greek mythology, and that's where we get the definition that we have now of hell. You know, with Satan with his pitchfork, you know, making sure everyone's nice and crisp on both sides the greek mythology of hades that's how it came into the church but and so he was using that word to identify with them 
Or what if it was, it's, he's using the same concept of what Sheol is described as in, in the prophets and uh, in the front of the book. And that was just the, the Greek word for it. Yeah. I put it here on screen for you. There's a Strong's. Sheol. Can you guys see the screen when I'm screen sharing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. So it says, uh, underworld place to which people descend at death. I, I believe that it is under the earth. That's the underworld. It's where people go when you die. Right. An, an underworld. I, I the feel worms like, eat yeah, you up and you go back into the dust. Yeah, to dust, we return. Okay. Oh, so let's, yeah. let's go what to about the first, uh, is it, is it, uh, When well, our bodies go back into the ground and then it says the spirit goes back to the father. And when we look at the word spirit right there in that, uh, I'll have to see, find the, the verse numa. real quick. But the spirit literally means the breath or right. wind. It's the same. It's the same power that animated your flesh, your dirt, uh -huh. when you were born, or when Adam was in Genesis two seven. That created a living soul. So in your mother's womb, the, the flash of light, the spirit of God that animates and starts the creation process of, from the zygote to the womb, um, and that's that's the same ideal of within the, that you began to become a living soul, to which you accumulate all of your mind, will, and emotions, experiences of which you'll be judged. So yes, there is the container that you that your soul exists within while you're on the mortal earth. That is, you know, your, your body. But once that body is destroyed, where does all that information go? That information has to go somewhere. And that's where the well, father so describes yeah. where it goes. For it us. perishes. I need you to show me the verse where it says that this information has to go somewhere because yeah. I, I believe when Christ comes, he's He's bringing, you know, he's bringing the cloud, you know, all the, all the consciousness he's putting back into the dust and he's making living souls again. Well, likewise, likewise, I'd say you have to show me that verse. Well, you know well, what? I, I'm showing it's... you the makeup. Well, hold on. Go to James 2, or you don't got to go to it, but James 2, 26, it says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so mm -hmm. faith without works is dead also. So it's literally showing you the reverse of Genesis. Within saying the body's dead, not yeah. your soul. So right. what is dead to you? I mean, if dead means well, the, we're, we're just talking about the words that it's using in that verse, which is the body dies, but the soul. Let's read what Jesus says about the soul. Well, but, but isn't the you, you said soul? So isn't your conscious you? Why would you say you're dead ever? If if you die and you're always conscious, I would never say I was dead. Like like the Bible talks about the dead in Christ. What does that mean? If the dead well, are really not dead. They're alive somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Westlays was talking about earlier about the difference between a living soul and then a dead soul that's awaiting the resurrection. But it says in the Bible that uh, the dead have no thoughts. They well, if you, have to, if you look at the context of Ecclesiastes chapter six, what you're quoting from verses five through nine, it talks about people that are doing activities in the land of the living. And those who are dead have no activities in the land of the living. They have no thoughts, no planning, no, mm, um, no yeah. intent. Right, because they're not in the game anymore. They're dead. They don't have a body. They're not interacting in society anymore, which is the surrounding context of that passage. So this is where we have all these other contexts in the scriptures that talk about the soul, which is what was created in Genesis 2-7 with the mixture of this, the breath of God, the power, the animating power, and then the dirt of the earth that creates a living soul. So now that living soul, there's a process that scripture outlines for the living soul to reach the resurrection. And there was this, the Hebrews very much believe so. In fact, a specific Hebrew I have on screen here, Jesus, he talks about what happens with the soul after death before the resurrection. And this is the parable he explains parable. in Luke, okay. Luke 16. 
yeah, because yeah, you know he taught proper theology with his parables. He wouldn't teach us improper afterlife theology with a parable. Exactly. What he taught was that you're not going to be saved by your bloodline. You're not going to be saved by your wealth because people thought, oh, if you're rich, you must be blessed by God. If you're a Jew, you're, you're, you're God's chosen people. And he's showing, no, it was the lowly, meek beggar who was the one who got eternal life. Well, there's more descriptors here. Yeah, that, there's a lot going on in this page. Yeah. 19 through 41. So there's a lot of, lot of verses here. Make it very, you know, entertaining and and visual. But he also taught that, you, you know, he wasn't teaching people to grow crops and the, to build houses on rocks and stuff. If you walk away thinking that was a literal sermon, then you missed the whole message. Well, even so, in his sermons, he thought, to, to enter into life, you know. Sure. All the metaphors within his parables. There's a there's a theological consistency with the Old Testament. So this is we run into a kind of a problem if we suddenly decide that this particular parable does not have theological afterlife descriptions. So yeah. like plucking your eye out to not go into a city dump outside Jerusalem, that's some kind of literal meaning. No, again, you know, you'd want to take each parable in the context or explain. There's a lot of descriptors in each parable. And I mean, you're looking at. If, are there idioms? Are there comparisons? Are there similes? You know, there what's are, going on? It says Abraham's bosom. I don't see that anywhere in scripture that you go to the chest of Abraham, somebody who existed well after Adam. Where did Adam go? This is a Hebrew idiom for Sheol, just like they have a lot of different um, idioms in scripture for something that's already defined and established for us. So the like if you you know look up any any rabbinical text, any rabbi that talks about cultural traditions from ancient Hebrews. Um, the, the term Abraham's bosom is an idea that's a, it's an idiom for the, for the place of the dead Sheol. So the idea here is he telling us that the angels carried this poor man, this, this, the, the, the difference between the poor and the rich man, they carried them, the poor man to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, which is the same Greek word for Sheol in the Hebrew, it's the, the abode of the dead, the underworld where the spirits go and departed that he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So this is a, this is a concept where after they've both died, they're both in a place where they can literally see each other, but they can't get to each other. There's a great chasm. Now this whole, and I know that you guys, before we, we came on tonight, y'all, y'all requested that we only talk about the modern American canon of 66. Thank you. So, yeah. So this, this is a part right here. And I'm On not sure episode you, 66. What's hey, that? On episode 66, bro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what's up with that? <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have ever researched this particular parable or not to figure out where Jesus was getting these descriptions. Um, but this is where you would find that there's only one description. There's only one other book that describes exactly what Jesus is describing. And it's a book that's in other canons around the world. It was just not put in the American canon. And that's that, that's that book what of first. What do you do with the? Uh, so the, you one would have to say literally that a drop of water would cool off someone that's in Hades. So the 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 description he's playing off of that's described in Enoch twenty two is that there's a great chasm between these two compartments where the souls of the righteous and the souls of the unrighteous go to, and that on the the compartment of the righteous where those souls go to, there's a bright spring of water. So that's why the dead man on the other side would be requesting the water because that water is the symbolism of them getting eternal life, the water of life. 
So, Jared, earlier you mentioned that there was a particular author that you had in mind that used the term Hades and that you said he was using that as a playoff of what the Greeks believed and how it was their their understanding and their uh, their tradition. And so we're talking about Jesus now where he that, those were his words there in Luke, whereas hmm. did did he ever have a problem with going around and, and rebuking people for their traditions that contrasted and contradicted the word of God and the truth? Oh, no. Christ would call him out on the spot. Correct. In the most loving way possible. Absolutely. So when I see him use the word Hades and he's using it in a in a, with theological implication of the afterlife, I don't think that that was just a a, a wrong tradition of the Greeks. I see Jesus using it as true. Uh, I see Jesus was a great storyteller. Man, we talking about four beasts rising out of the ocean, a harlot riding a beast with seven heads, drinking blood. Like this is all kinds of uh, a sheep being let down with animals in it, unclean animals eat it. You know. Uh, skinny cows eating fat cows all this stuff is so crazy because they're great storytellers god is a great storyteller now jesus was in a culture that was divided like it was submerged with greek mythology paganism and then the jews and so jesus was like i'm gonna tell you a parable that i'm gonna get my point across which is you're not saved by your blood you're not saved by your riches and and he said Okay, let's say it was Hades. I'm talking about Greek mythology. Let's say it was Abraham's bosom. I'm talking about this is Jewish tradition that you went to the, the lap of Abraham or whatever. And they were all talking about the same thing. And and look, he talked about having a beam in your eye and all kinds of stuff, man. You guys are acting like if he talks about this, it's got to be true because everything he said was true, just like eating unclean animals and beasts rising out of the ocean and stuff like this. Well, we, we actually we have said that you have to take everything in context of what's being said. We've talked about literary devices that are used all throughout Scripture, whether it's a idiom, a synonym, a metaphor, a simile. These are these are this is a part of our, our reading comprehension when we're looking for context in a passage. We would never conflate other myth descriptive metaphors or idioms from a different contextual parable with what we're trying to read in this one. So that, I'm trying to take you what. I've never heard this explanation before. I'm really enjoying the talk, not going with it, but I tell you what, this is really cool. I've never uh, spoken with a Sabbath keeper. And now Sunday keepers, they will take this verse literally, like the Baptists and all of the other Sunday believers, they will take this literally. Uh, but I've, I've never heard it presented like this, and I find it very interesting. And I'm, I'm so glad I have the opportunity to kind of uh, le- uh, 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 talk about a topic that uh, in a angle that I've never seen it from. Right. Sure. Yeah, that's why I pulled up the Psalm 49 passage first before we went to the New Testament with Jesus to show you that this was the Hebrew understanding of what happens when you die. This is and the my biblical. soul goes to Shishiol and God has to redeem my soul. No one can do that for you. Only God can pull that soul and give it back into a body. And when that happens at the first resurrection, you don't go back into this body of dirt. You go back into the promised body of the resurrection, which is yeah. I can I can agree with that. The new body, I I can definitely agree that when Christ comes, we will receive that new body. You know, six pack, full head of hair, right, bro? More epic beard. What about verses that say like um, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment? Like to me, it's like you die, and the next thing is judgment because your conscience is cut off, and it's going to feel like a second, even if it's a thousand years. You know, like well, I mean that. That, that would be an inference from the context of Hebrews 9.26 and what, what's going on in there in that passage compared to 
Yeah, like I would, I would think it would say the judgment. The man wants to die, and then you wait in this place until the judgment day well, comes. Like uh, Hebrews is at the end of the book, so there isn't. The way I look at it is that there's a whole bunch of other books before we get to Hebrews that give us a lot of description about this topic, about what happens after you die, and that's where I agree with both of you guys that mentioned Ecclesiastes six and Ecclesiastes nine. The breath that powered your life goes back to God who gave it. The soul, the body decays. This is what Psalm sixteen ten tells us: the body decays in the grave. But then soul goes to Sheol, and that's what has to be redeemed. So you're, you're saying that the dust and the breath of God are, are these two ingredients. They come together. They make, and agree, they make something new because they're together. Mm -hmm. But when they separate, that thing is still there somehow. I, I don't yeah, understand. That's what Scripture says. That's not what I say. <laughs> that's what Scripture says. Because we're talking about living and dead. We're talking so, about where, uh, where do you guys believe you're that you're, you're saved? And you die, do you still go to that place, uh, Sheol? I can remember at least four or five occasions in uh, uh, John. Um, I forget the chapter, but where Jesus says that He will raise us up on the last day. Yeah, yeah. So that I, I look at that as He's literally going to raise us up from somewhere on the last day, and not that we've been in heaven. Well, it, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it talks about many places that you'll be that he'll raise you up from the dust of the earth. It's in Daniel. It says that many will rise from the dust of the earth. So you're That's saying right. when you die, you you're consciously living in the dust of the earth until judgment. Like uh, I don't no, know. Like, no, no, no. I'm saying that there's a there's a, there's canons. There's people that have been believers a lot longer, you know, in past in history before we were ever born that they had um, biblical collections of books that we were not given in our modern society. And those books describe this place of Sheol with great, great detail. And this, I mean, we've got those books being referenced and mentioned by Messiah, by Jude, by other places in Scripture as well. Uh, it's also in First uh, Timothy six sixteen. 6, 6, so you have um, the biblical writers familiar with the context of this idea from their Hebrew Scriptures, and some of those Hebrew Scriptures were not given to us in the nineteenth and twentieth century. In fact, I actually have on my channel a Hebrew scholar in Jerusalem today at the Hebrew university. And she's the emeritus professor over um, the Dead Sea Scrolls and over Hebrew literature and all kinds of things that, I mean, she's got an impressive resume and she literally declares that in the first century, the rat, the same rabbis that killed Jesus, they started telling people not to read three specific books that were Hebrew literature that everyone was currently reading at the time. And those three books were the Testament of the 12 patriarchs, the book of Jubilees and the book of Enoch. Why do you think that is? Well, it, it explains the priesthood of Jesus. Over so ev everybody was believing in Jesus, like like easy in the first century. Mm. This is, I mean, it was a big deal. People were coming to faith in Jesus like crazy. With. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, this is why you have in John uh, chapter eight, the, the council of the Pharisees and Nicodemus is there. And they're talking about if, what, if we don't do something, everybody's going to believe in him. So when Lazarus died, where did he go? Well, Lazarus, we're talking about the one that was raised, not the one in the parable. Correct. I'm sorry. Okay. So yes. yeah, in John 11, um, Lazarus that died, he's the one that went to uh, nowhere actually, because he he would he was pulled back up. But if he if his soul did go to Sheol in that three day forty time period, yeah, then that it would have went to Sheol, and then he would have gotten resurrected. And so the way so, we define Sheol real quickly, Jared, is that yeah. it is a compartment under the flat surface of the earth in which there's two com two compartments inside of this big cavernous underworld subterranean retreat 
in which one side is a compartment for the unrighteous, saved for the second resurrection at the end of the thousand years, and that the other side is a compartment for the righteous, and that this is a physical, literal place where the departed souls of dead men are. A waiting uh, those, room down there. A holding those, cell. Those books that I talked about previously, those three books, they explain to you that that place down there is literally guarded by angels, and it tells you which angels guard that place, and it was made at creation. So... So basically, if we had those, if if all three of us had grown up in uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church at 200 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. We'd all understand this this part of the afterlife topic. We wouldn't understand the Sabbath. Yeah, we would. They also keep the Sabbath and and the the law of God. So I'm, all I'm well, saying is there's maybe. been some information that's been removed from us, which is why modern day Christians in America have so much difficulty yeah. with this topic. I thought you told me you read oh. Jubilees, Jared. I mean, I was a Catholic, bro. Oh, no worries. <laughs> what, what's I, had, I had all kinds of books. There's well, like, what, got, what I was getting at is the sleep. Yeah, we got one at a time. Yeah. Uh, and so what you're saying is Lazarus died and then he went to Sheol, right? His he soul would be in Sheol for a short area, time. Right? Same place and that then, Jesus went when he died. Huh? Same place Jesus went when he died, the heart of the earth, Sheol. So, so. Lazarus went there and then I don't know how long he was there for. And then Christ brings them back. But what's interesting is that uh, the women were crying and he referred to death as a sleep. Right. And so that's really interesting to me because when we go to first Thessalonians chapter four, the second coming of Christ, mm-hmm. And the dead that are resurrected, um, again, it's compared to sleep. Yeah, but let's stay in the context of Lazarus. We got to keep things in oh, their yeah, and that's introductory why context. So let's look at what Jesus actually says about Lazarus to the people that are crying. And I'll, I'll start up here. I'll start up here, I guess. Um, then he said, after this, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Right? So there's a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So all throughout, it's synonymous. All throughout the, the scriptures, when people are referred to as dead, it's a place of rest. It's a place of sleep. In the English, it's translated to the word sleep. Our connotation of the word sleep is a little bit different. That's more of you're still alive and breathing. You might have some dreams, lucid or otherwise, or, or REM, but you're still alive. But in their ancient language, their idioms, their verbiage, they ref- and this is what it's trying to explain to you. He's not talking about literal sleep. He's talking yeah, about the I death. totally agree. Yeah, so they mentioned that often in the in the Old Testament, that when you would go to Sheol, it's a place of rest. So this is why if you go to Psalm 139, do you have thoughts in Sheol? As much as we saw Jesus describe in Luke 16, 19 through 41. Because it says that uh, when you die, your thoughts perish. Yeah, again, that's the Ecclesiastes chapter 6. That's the context of in the land of the living. That's the We have to keep everything in the context that it's being described to us. I just so think it's, it's weird that the Bible has to tell you that that corpse, it's not thinking right now, just to let you know. I, this sounds kind of obvious, but... Let's yeah, that's why there's a distinction between the soul and the actual physical body. So if the physical body is decayed and dead and decays in the grave, then 
that's why it already it's, it's already set up the differentiation between a soul and the physical body at death. So this is why here in Psalm 139, verse 8, I start in verse seven. This is such a beautiful psalm from David. If, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So he understands that it's it's even referred to this idea of in a bed resting. It's you know metaphoric descriptions here. You don't think that's the like laying down in the grave? No, because again in Psalm sixteen ten, David speaks of the same very same topic, and he explains his soul. Um, therefore my heart is glad my heart my glory rejoices my flesh also will dwell securely for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay yeah because soul is a living being being put in the grave so so he's, well, he's this is this is the passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 specifically about Jesus mm-hmm. so David is making a differentiation here I'm sorry guys between his soul in Sheol and the body of the Messiah that will not undergo decay. And definitely a difference here to recognize that it's between a, a living soul and a dead soul. Right. Absolutely difference here. Because yeah. one is Sheol and one is a living soul on earth. On earth, interacting in the game. And so like when it says the soul that sins, it shall die. Right. That's Even right. That's Ezekiel 18. Dead. Yeah, that's, that's oh, the second death. And it's a, it's a, okay, a second death. Yeah. Wasn't the first ever told? Go ahead. In Job 14, he says, and starting with verse 10 to 14, he says, But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? So he's asking the question that we're talking about. Where is he? As the mm-hmm. waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dry up, so man lieth down, he riseth not, till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in my grave. In the grave, right. hide me in my grave. Not, I mean, maybe it's Sheol. I guess it is Sheol. The Hebrew. Hide me in this purgatory, yeah. that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath passed, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time, I wait until my change come, which Paul talks about uh, will be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye. Right. But I, when I see these things, like. We, we, we've already agreed that the body that goes into the grave, we're not getting that body back, right? We're all in agreement on that. At, at the resurrection, we get a new body. Yeah, yeah. we can all agree on that. First Thessalonians right. 4. Right. Is saying that he's going to sleep and not be awakened. He's going to hide in the grave until this day of the well, change. How does, that, how does that line up with your conscience somewhere? I, I just don't. Because it's saying he's asleep. And that it says that he's gonna he's gonna be changed. All this implies that something is there to be preserved. Nothing about what he's saying here says that there's nothing in existence anymore. You know, right? Well, because ultimately, I mean, again, this is what I'm saying, guys. That, you know, the judgment begins with the house of God. You have to have something to judge. So the moment well, yeah. you die, you're, oh, yeah. you're yeah, the father, the father through the judgment of his son, our, John, our life here will be judged yeah i I just don't (laughs) i don't understand why it seems like well that that life you lived must go on and be you know i don't i don't get it why it's like a like it's a living thing that has to be preserved somewhere instead of like okay i'm raising you to your judgment here was what you did in your life and and i'm going to judge you according to those things right so if the body if we don't get the body back and we're getting a new body what's resurrected into that new body 
What is where he's creating well, a new he, he gives us body and then he gives us back the breath. So therefore, I mean, but, that's like a double that's, that's a new creation. Then that's that's not even a resurrection. So it's, the resurrection is something that was dead and then lives again. Well, so yeah, we're not, you, we're not getting the body. It's, it's a resurrection because you did once live. So you're not really you're not being created as some new thing. You are being created as what you were. I mean, you're you did once live, and if you're brought back up, I mean, to to say that he's creating a new being wouldn't be accurate either. He's bringing you back, but you've been dead. You've been unconscious for. Maybe, maybe we can go to that event of when Christ does come in First Thessalonians four, and we can kind of read about that event and what that looks like. Sure, and I think that would help bring clarification. Yeah, you you definitely. I'll pull it up on the screen here. All right, you're doing a good job, brother man, of switching big passage. cameras and everything. <laughs> yeah, man. Make sure you guys subscribe, hit the bell notification, Patreon, right. this brother, <laughs> all that. Nice. That's right, man. Yeah, the hype man. I yeah, mean, seriously, it. It, it takes a lot of work to run this. A lot of people don't know how much time and patience right. and learning the curve and everything. Uh, brother Sean, you're doing a good job, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, to give the to give the viewer something coherent they can follow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, what did you want to read out of this, Jared? Uh, brother, you want to start on verse thirteen? Uh, yeah, you already got it highlighted. <clears throat> um, I guess we'll just go verse by verse if that's all right, and then sure. we'll kind of pause for a second. Sure. Uh, verse thirteen. Um, uh, but we do not want you to be uniformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this is for this. Oh, I'm sorry. So we'll go ahead and stop right there. Oh, I read two verses. I didn't see the breaks. All right. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. Yeah, this is something he wants us to know about. Yeah. So, okay, Jesus died and rose again, verse 14. Yep. Where did, where did Jesus, when Jesus lost his body, where did he go? See, that's the amazing paradox. That's the power of God. Uh-oh. He had a different experience than everyone else? No. Okay, so where in the three days that he was in the heart of the earth, what was in the heart of the earth? His body. Give me one second of a, his body? Yeah, it was in that cave. Literally no. the heart of the earth. Is a cave not an earth and you're inside of it? Or the right. heart of the earth would be a descriptor that would describe under the surface in the in the middle of the subterranean realm that we that we saw from the definition of Sheol. Yeah. From like I don't know if you guys knew, but oh, like this the belief of Jesus going down into purgatory and fighting it out with Satan purgatory. and doesn't say he fights it out with Satan. Well, yeah, I know. I totally, I totally agree. But it's, it's a very common misconception that the world. I know that you guys are on the he ball, but preaching to the souls, the spirits of the dead down there is what people read. But it's talking about the days of Noah when eight were saved from the flood. Okay, so let's go to um, Matthew twelve forty. You want to go to Matthew 12? That's, that's where the uh that's where the verse is that we're looking for. 
Okay. I thought it was interesting that Thessalonians back there said that he will bring with him those who sleep. Yeah, we'll definitely go back to that when we... Uh... Yeah. You want to read that, brother? So it says in verse 40, it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's right. So yeah. what, what is the, the prophets that came before Jesus, before the statement, what did they describe the heart of the earth and what happens to your soul when you die? Daniel says they sleep in the dust of the earth. I mean, I just, is that what you guys think? Like you're just like covered in dust and you're just sleeping consciously? No. Like wait. No, your, your body decays. Your body decays. There is no physical so something has to be resurrected and it's no, not your body. Like Lazarus was talking about his tongue and all this stuff, like or not Lazarus, what, the the wall that we're hitting, I'm telling you guys, it's this is the it's it's part of the admission to, to actually admit to ourselves as believers that are diligently studying truth and looking for the answers that are coherent. Has the book that's been given to us in our generation, is it complete compared to the scriptures available to Jesus and his generation? And this is where we've we do a lot of research on this channel, historical manuscript research. I do an entire show about it, and That's we try to show emphatically that that we had the the Bible itself has been chopped up and whittled down throughout the centuries to now we're only at sixty six books in our generation. But there's still other canons around the world that have eighty some ninety one books, and all these answers that we're running into that seems like you know it's it's not clear cut explanation. All this stuff is clearly explained in these other books that the ancients of the first century, the, the disciples of Jesus, they all had those first century books at their disposal so they could easily teach all these things to new converts. And Jesus was spreading like wildfire. The ironic part is, is what you guys are teaching is believed by 90 percent of Christians, though. I mean, that's that's the popular belief that I hear. Not from my experience whatsoever. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, Baptists and stuff, they'll say, yeah, when you die, you go to heaven or hell. But when you really talk to them and. And say, well, what about the judgment? And all this? So they're like, well, it's not the final heaven or hell. It's actually, you know, there's you're at a place with a great gulf. And they'll bring up the rich man Lazarus. That's what they cling to, that you're separated by this great gulf, and then one day you'll be judged. But that's that's common. I mean, that's uh, that's mainstream Christianity right there. I grew up mainstream Christianity, and I went to a Baptist church for four years. Ever um, heard about the rich man Lazarus? And, and heard we we heard that you go to heaven above when you die. You immediately get your glorified body and you go to be with Jesus immediately when you when you your last breath leaves you. If you made the righteous, if you're one of Jesus saved by saved by grace, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're you're would go to a tormenting hellfire that burns forever and ever, and you're in constant physical pain and torment forever and ever and ever. And that's what I'm saying. It's like the the congregation will say that, but when you actually speak to the pastor and bring up these like, what about judgment and all this, they're like when you really talk to one about it, about the great white throne judgment, they'll say, oh, well, well, yeah, it's not really the final hell. It's actually what happened to rich man Lazarus. Like they, it's kind of like, they're just not really well versed in it, but they won't disagree with what you guys are saying. They'll believe also, that. The phrase in the earth um, appears 66 times in the King James Bible, but none of them refers to the grave. So that's another thing to consider. Okay. Also, we have to look at the context of all those uses, but yeah. But and then yeah. also, uh, when you're looking at the comparison of Jonah 
and Christ for those three days. Was Christ in the grave for three days? Was he? Is that what the scriptures tell us? No. He died on Friday sundown and was resurrected Sunday morning. That's less than okay. three days. So, well, before we get into the, that entire, I've actually had that debate on my channel. So, before we get into that debate of how many days it was, let's, let's keep it oh, with the concept. Oh, oh, I, I didn't even know that there was a differential in, in days. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we should go back to First Thessalonians 4. He specifies here that it was, in fact, three days and three nights. So, we don't see in scripture it was Friday and then. And then Sunday morning. That well, he died on preparation day. You're taking that. And the, then we see yeah. his people uh, <laughs> keeping the Sabbath holy. And then Mary Magdalene, the following day, early in the morning, Sunday morning, she goes to meet with. So, but I think uh, we should, Jared, you're you're going off of you're going off of a um, Judaism's assumption, Judaism's calendar, what they've told Christians forever. So there's multiple preparations days for Sabbaths when you include the feast days that are called eternal yeah. Leviticus 23. So this, this is why uh, you would have, according to the Levitical calendar that they would have kept in the first century AD, you'd have had that feast starting on a Wednesday. So the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread beginning earlier in the week, that would give you a full three days. What so, day of the week was he like, um, they all came into catch him in the woods and stuff. That was it was nighttime, right? He was praying, great drops of blood and all that. Um, are you talking about Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah. Or, oh, okay. That would because be that. What you were just saying, Jared, would mean that I would have to assume that if if the Friday to Sunday narrative is true, then what Jesus said was a lie. We no, know he wasn't talking about being dead, as Jonah was not dead. In the heart. Oh, well, of the, well, he did say. Well, actually, Jonah. Did you guys know that Jonah died? <laughs> Did you guys yeah. know that Jonah was actually resurrected? Eventually, yeah. eventually, the brother passed. He's in no, no. I'm saying he he was resurrected. Did you guys realize that? I didn't. Know that. Yeah. Of Jonah. I think we should go back to First Thessalonians four of Jesus. Well, let's, real, real quick, real quick, because let's go back to what you brought up, Jared. You brought up Revelation Matthew twelve because you're we're trying to differentiate between this idea. Did Jesus? I mean, I, I guess we all believe. I mean, we just read it in First Thessalonians four four fifteen, right? That he did die and was risen again. He rose again. So this this passage here that he's telling the Pharisees when they ask him for a sign, and he's like, "And an even adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it." But he caveats it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Mm. So what is that? What's the sign of Jonah? What's the sign of Jonah? And, uh, and this is where we've tried to show with many videos and presentations that it, he did die in the ocean. The, and then he's three days and three nights in the belly of the fish because the fish was transporting him as it swallowed him at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, transporting him to dry land. And he was resurrected. Where so this was why when he goes to speak, people had realized, oh, my gosh, they saw him on the seashore. They saw him resurrected. They saw the sign of Jonah. Otherwise. The only people that knew he, no one knew he truly died. The only, the last people that saw him were the, were the guys that threw him off the boat. The Where did he go here? And does it talk about it? Yes, it's chapter two. He goes to Sheol. It says the word Sheol, even. Yeah. yeah. Not in the King James, though. I know when I first started, of that side or what? I mean, yeah. When I first started studying, I noticed that I, I was hindering myself and limiting myself by trying to be King James only. And that's something that I see other people oh, with sometimes. And I know they'll say that they're not a King James only, but that is their go-to for everything. And so they're limited by that. Yeah. No, I, I definitely compare with other, with other versions. Good. Yeah. 
it is it's, it's the one i use the most because it seems to be collectively like uh more accurate than some of the other ones but i'll especially when i like want to share a verse with somebody i'll look at if there's another if there's another version that says the same thing but a little bit easier to understand so he cried for help from the depths of Sheol. So if he was crying for help, is he in the bad place where the rich man was? No, he's a prophet. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that he's but it he was realizing that he's dead for help. He says, "You heard my voice." Yeah. yeah. So this is where he goes on to say the rest of it would say, "For he had cast me into the deep, the heart of the seas, the current engulfed me. Your billows and breakers passed over me. I've been expelled what? from your sight." But if you're resting in Abraham's bosom, would you be crying for help? I don't get that. You, I mean, this is again, this is where Yeshua, Jesus tells us an entire story about two people dead and they go to Sheol to their respective compartments and both of them are having active conversations. They know where they are. They know judgment is next. This is why the man is in torment on the bad side. If you're in the good side, why would you be crying for help? Well, because I'm, this is what the story tells us that he cried for help and then he was resurrected as a result of it. Help, I'm in the great place. I don't want to be. Well, I, mean, I, get it. <laughs> I mean, the Bible, <laughs> in the belly of the whale, I get it, but I don't get it. If you're in the good place. Uh, well, this is why I'm going on for the further in verses in this chapter being in the belly. Cause right. now you're, <laughs> you've been so, in a great place. Well, yeah. he's, he's having this thought and this emotion of repentance but in Psalms 146, 4, it says that your thoughts perish. How is he having this thought of repentance and crying out to the Lord if his thoughts have perished because he's dead? Psalm, would you say 36? What? Uh 146, 4? 146, 4. Are people still watching right now? <laughs> yeah, we've got, uh looks like 85. Well, you know, to be honest, it, my right, internal right. studio, it always tells me a certain number, but whenever I end the live stream, there's always like 300 other more people. Right. So it's never really accurate. Well, um, I'm so glad so, people are still sticking around. I mean, uh, I think we're oh, going now for an hour and 33. Mm-hmm. People are enjoying it and, they, and they're trying to talk. They're asking questions. So I've been, I've been neglecting some of that. I've been multitasking as what areas <laughs> I should have, but. Um, Maybe I should jump on the channel and see. If well, I there's the chat. there's so much. Quite, we haven't even got to the topics we put in the thumbnail yet, guys. Uh, we, we know, know, like, we've we've talked about or we've been going over the topics. I would like to <laughs> we'll talk about death right now. We're hopscotching here. Death and the soul and resurrection. Yeah, and I believe that we're uh, promising the or uh, we're giving the content that we promised. So, uh, from what I'm reading, from what you said, when Psalm 146, two mm-hmm. through four, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so, his thoughts perish. But again, this is in the, the concept of someone losing their physical body. They're dying. There's other Psalms like we already read, Psalms that actually come 100 Psalms before this one, that tells you where your soul goes when you lose your body. But we already found out that in order to have a soul in Genesis 2, you have to have a body. That's a living soul. I think that's a living soul. Yeah. That's about dead souls. So you're saying when the when the dust and the breath form together and make a conscious, that's that's something that just doesn't go away until judgment. Uh that's what it just what it says, a living being, a living soul. And so then once you die, you're not a living being anymore. You're not a living soul. You're a dead soul without a body. Which needs to either get a body. You're, dead, you're not conscious. I don't get it. 
Why would you even? Well, say who's, that? This is wait, 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 wait. Which verse tells you that though? That's the that's the difference. Because you guys are talking yeah, about in the land of the living. Verse to tell me what dead means. I mean, well, we want to take all of our theology from scripture, right? So this is this Amen. verse that Jesus tells us: Do not fear those who kill the body, unable to kill the soul. He's making a differentiation between two different things here, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both. He's still making differentiation: two things, the body and the soul. And this word is. Poorly translated to English in the Greek, this is the word Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. But you guys just said that if you die, then you are a dead soul. So that would mean that man does kill the soul. No, no, it's that's why we were saying that the, the Old Testament tells you that the soul goes somewhere to await resurrection. As as uh, Wesley said earlier, that there's two resurrections. This is what Paul talks about in Acts 24. So there's two resurrections that happen, the first and the second. And there's two different things that happen at those. Uh, Paul I refers can, to I it. I can agree that there's two two different resurrections. Right. So Paul, Paul says that. After the thousand years. Yes. But there's two different things that happen at those two different resurrections. Paul talks about this here. There's a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So yep. at, at Yeshua's coming, which is the beginning of the millennial reign. Yeah. There's a first resurrection event. This is why Yeshua in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, Yeshua is called the first fruits of the first resurrection. So this is, he's already got that glorified body. And when he returns, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, then we change in twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We're given that resurrection body too. Great. Participating in the first resurrection. This is uh, the, the blessing of Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. Everyone who participates in the first resurrection will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And be made priests. And we're priests and, priests and rulers, priests and kings. Yes. So that's the first resurrection at the beginning of the millennial reign. At the end of the millennial reign is the second resurrection. Agreed. Which is going to encompass all of the righteous from the mm -hmm. point that the for the thousand year millennial reign, plus all of the wicked that have existed since Adam all the way to the end of the millennial reign. Agree. Right. This yeah. is why death and Hades are then destroyed after that. And there is no container anymore for the soul to go to because after the second resurrection, all the second godly resurrected people during the millennial reign are given their glorified immortal bodies. Cause that's the promise of the covenant. All the wicked people that have been resurrected at the millennial reign from Adam all the way to the end, they stand judgment before him for every word and deed. And they're thrown in the lake of fire. See, I agree with like 99% of that. <laughs> that's why after that event, there is no more Sheol or Haiti. There is no more place for the as a receptacle, yeah, if you will, there's no in. more death. There's no yeah, more death no after more that. Death. The wages of sin is death. So there's right. So no every more. everyone who has been going to get that eternal life body, that John three sixteen body, will have received it at that point between the mm -hmm. two resurrections of the righteous, and all the wicked have to get back into a body to stand before Yeshua, so that their both body and soul can be thrown in the lake of fire and destroyed. See, there's none of that that I disagree with. Okay. Mikey? No. I mean, I, it's it's yeah. the same right there. I do believe that. I, I just wonder, like, what is the point of a judgment if you're at a good place or bad place for that long? I mean, you already know, we, like, you're sitting there like, I'm, I'm damned. I mean, I'm, well, you're not, you're not at the place promised yet. That's the difference. There's a descriptor of you, what the place that we inherit, which is heaven, the kingdom of heaven. There's a descriptor of what that a descriptor of what that is. It's Zion in the Old Testament. It's New Jerusalem in the New Testament. The abode of the dead, the place of Sheol, the place that Jubilees two two and First Enoch twenty two says was created on day one 
of creation. That place is not the New Jerusalem, right? So th that's why the New Jerusalem comes down. We're resurrected up. We see him at his coming. He's coming down to fight. We're taken away with the, the angels that receive us in Matthew 1330. Into the barn. We're the wheat taken into the barn, Matthew 1330. It's also in Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. We're taken into our rooms to be spared the wrath of the lamb when he comes back with his war angels to fight at Armageddon. So we're. this is what all happens on the last trumpet. We're taken away from the wrath of the lamb. This is how we're spared from that to yeah. the new Jerusalem. And he comes down ahead of the new Jerusalem to fight. And then the new Jerusalem in our, my estimation from scripture, the new Jerusalem descends about seven days later. You know, so the biggest concern I have with this belief is not, not that like, uh, I don't know. Like I, I could, I don't, I don't, I'm not against like that being the truth. I'm just, the, the biggest concern I have is, like people talking to ghosts and stuff, you know, I believe that if you understand it as this way, then you can say, yeah, I can talk to, you know, I just don't, God, I know that God's telling us that the dead know nothing so that we will not communicate with the dead. <laughs> because yeah. Wes, please, do you want this one? Oh, real quick. I was just going to say God had a problem with that idea as well. And so mm -hmm. it was a commandment not to do that. And so I just think that he doesn't command anything of anybody that's impossible to do. So when when we see things like the witch in, at Indoor, with was it Samuel? Samuel yeah, yeah, That I know, Mikey, that you don't believe you you believe that that was an unclean spirit, familiar spirit pretending to be Samuel. But we see the text say that it was Samuel, and I know yeah. that he perceived it to be Samuel. No, well, the text says it was Samuel. Yeah, no, it says that he perceived it to be Samuel. The text, I the guess, text outside of perceived. He went to a tonic beating. She screamed and it was like he, he saw gods coming up from the earth or whatever. And, and I don't understand how a witch can say a magic word and take one of God's people out of the holding chamber and summon him against God's own will. What, well, that well, was it against God's will? Because that's the point of the story is why did Paul go or why did Saul go to the witch anyway? And then what did the witch what happened with that whole encounter it was nothing. The witch did the disembodied spirit of Saul that comes, or excuse me, of Samuel. The, the words are so similar. He comes up, he gives a prophecy. Now this is a huge deal in the, in the old Testament, but he this gives now a, gives credibility to the witch. No, no, the witch has no clue. This is happening. That's why she's startled. She doesn't, did not expect this to happen. The point of she's, she's subsequent. She's in the backdrop of this story. The focus goes to the interaction between Saul and this disembodied spirit of Samuel. Like what does talk to the dead, but I'm going to send the dead to talk to you. What does Samuel actually say in this moment? He tells him a prophecy that you're going to die in a few days, you and your sons. And it comes true two chapters later. Kill himself. No, well, he dies in a battle with the Philistines. And it says you're going to die two days later. You know, um, if he would have just went to God like he should have instead of going to the witch, he might have well, we lived. Can, we can't rewrite the, the the leading up to that story. I mean, it yeah, says what it said, right? That's what he it. wanted to do. All I'm trying to say is, guys, Isaiah or Jeremiah, even though they're a few hundred years later, or any any prophet of that day that had taken over Samuel's position, who was it, Nathan? He could have come up to Saul and he could have said, hey, you're going to die in two days. But Samuel wasn't seeking Nathan. Samuel was seeking, or excuse me, Saul was seeking Samuel. That was the whole point of that story. But but what you're saying is that God says, don't do this, and then he makes it happen. 
Well, that's what West Blaze was saying that the, the whole purpose of Deuteronomy 18 to tell someone not to engage in necromancy, God, God's not going to tell you to engage in something you couldn't possibly engage in. Well, he says, don't, don't worship false idols. And, and yet Paul says that idols are nothing. There, there's no such thing. You know, they don't have power and all this stuff. So you can eat, still be, be offered to idols because there's no power in them. Yet God says, don't worship those idols. So, and we see it happening. I'm just trying to stay in the parameters of what we're talking about specifically about, because the story of first Samuel 28 is the, the supposition that the actual disembodied spirit of the prophet Samuel is pulled up from his rest. He literally says it when he comes up out of the ground, who's disturbed me from my rest. Yeah. Well, yeah, right? Perfect impersonation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Satan says that he can appear as an angel of light and deceive even the very elect. And here we have, Samuel going against God and not seeking godly advice, but seeking the advice of a witch. Well, what he didn't seek the advice of the witch. He asked the witch to do something for him, which was to get he travels specific... out to go see her. The whole point of him going to the witch was to get in contact with Samuel. He's trying to actually seek the advice of Samuel, who he knew to be a righteous prophet, even though Samuel was already dead. And just go to God himself. We agree. Well, that's not the, the, well, yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, he's making a bunch of bad decisions. He kills like a whole bunch of priests and their whole family a few chapters before that. But like the dude was off the rails. You're also saying just because this prophecy came true, it must be Samuel. But the Bible even says, even if an angel comes and even if a false, even if somebody says that this happens and the prophecy comes true, that right. you still shouldn't believe it. I mean, well, there's, there's a caveat to there. Remember, there's extra details in that chapter. Look at statistically what can going to happen. This guy's going to go to war. You're going to die in two days, and dude dies in two days. Big deal. Psychics do it all the time. So what, all we're trying to say with this example is that the Old Testament prophets taught that your soul, when you lose your body, goes to a holding cell, and that it, it is your your soul is still available and active, right? And that holding cell is guarded by angels, and that which means. The angels are taking orders from God about what's going on down there. And then we see this particular rebellious king. He goes to try to find someone that can perform necromancy. And the witch is surprised by the encounter. She's a good actress. Ah, well, that's well, an I, assumption you're making of the text, though. Well, so I, all I'm saying is I all the details. I saw a demon as well. I mean, if all, I I'm say, what I'm saying is all the details of the story line up with what the conditions and all the descriptions from the prophets before have already told us. So what do you believe about people that see their dead relatives talk to them? Do you think that's always? Oh, there's a verse that says that they, that they don't come back to, uh, to the living. Yeah, they don't come back to their own house. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even come back to their own house. The bodies <laughs> yeah. Is there, all I'm trying to say is there's those people that claim to hear voices from dead relatives or get messages through, uh, hearing the whisper of a voice or fog on a window in a mirror or something like that. Like those people are not performing necromancy. I'm talking about that. people that like their dead daughter comes up and gives them a hug in their physical oh. and they can smell them and all kinds of things. Like, you know, I can't speak for every person's individual anecdotal story and what exactly, whether it's true or not or what, you know what I'm saying? That's really tough to discern just on a blanket statement. So I, guess, I, mean, yeah, I do know that like, there are impersonate, there's what's called familiar spirits in Deuteronomy. Yeah. And these are disembodied, unclean spirits that Jubilees chapter 10 and Enoch chapter 15 tell us where they come from. They're the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. The very fact that you guys are talking about the unclean spirits, thinking that that's what was deceiving Saul in 1 Samuel 28, is based off the premise that there is something still, still conscious and active after you lose your body. 
the no, whole I'm origin sure why it was a demon because there isn't a demon. Okay, well, let, let's just go with it's a demon. Okay, we'll take yours. We'll take you guys' idea that First Samuel twenty eight was a demon. That's okay because even within that example, an unclean spirit, which is a demon, a shadim in the Hebrew, used to have a body. Mm, okay, <sighs> that's a whole different subject. Well, yeah. Where did it come from? If you if you don't mind me asking, where did demons come from? The demon. I believe they're all fallen angels. Fallen yeah. angels, yeah. yeah. Uh, Satan drew down a third of the angels with his tail. But talking about the dead in Job 7.10, it says, He, referring to those that are dead, shall return no more to his house. Dead don't, I mean, you ever seen those ghost shows where people yeah. are like going ghost hunting and Grandma Sue's mm -hmm. at the front of her uh you know, you guys, you guys admit, and I know both of you have done work on your channels that witchcraft is absolutely real, and occult practices have oh, very yeah. real effects oh, yeah. at things that are very supernatural in some yeah. instances, right? Yeah, some demon. God, don't be necromancy. That it's it's very possible that it was. It's possible to reanimate the dead in a way if God says don't do it. Is that a possibility to you guys? I guess it could be, but when I look at the rest of the of the of what it says about what happens when you die, the reason I think that he's saying to do not do this is because you're actually messing around with demons. Just like he says, avoid witchcraft. You ask any witch, are you playing around with demonic stuff? They're gonna say no. I I talk to nature. I call upon the spirits of the leaves and the air and the wind. But God is saying that it's demonic. Yeah, the disembodied the disembodied spirits of the giants are a real thing. Absolutely. Well, necromancy think about it this way in the catholic church right they pray to the deceased they literally believe that the saints can be able to speak back to them are the saints speaking back to them or well, that, are they something else um well they're doing something that's where the confusion can come into you know mm -hmm. um he shall <laughs> return no more to his house his thoughts perish mm -hmm. uh yeah, that's that's not talking about. First of all, I mean, if we're going to get literal with this from another outside example, outside of First Samuel twenty-eight, uh, Saul did not return. Samuel did not return to his house. <laughs> he just popped up for one for one last word to Saul, this rebellious king. He had to deal with his whole life before he died, and then tell him he's about to die soon. So, like, he didn't return to his house. He didn't go back to his activities in the land of the living and engage with his family, see anybody. Popped up, went back to Sheol. Same right. thing we see right. in the vision in in the and with Jesus speaking with Elijah and Moses. So you're saying that God told God made him do something that he forbade him to do. I mean, no, only God can make Samuel come up out of this holding. Yeah, stuff. Samuel, Samuel, yeah, God didn't tell Samuel to do something he forbade him to do. No, it's so. I guess this kind of goes into the idea of how real do we believe the Old Testament when it talks about these occult practices? Like, how real were they, and how real do we think that they were? Um, because all this has to do with this whole description of creation that we've been explaining from the very beginning concerning death and where the soul goes after you die. The whole premise of necromancy is that there's a disembodied spirit, a spirit without a body, a conscious, some sort of consciousness that can interact without a physical, tangible body. It's the belief of talking to the dead. There's ancestor worship has gone back since the beginning of time. That's what I'm saying. We, we see spirits, are, they, are, are they dealing with demons? And they'll say no. We, we see unclean spirits literally talking through people to Jesus. We, we yeah. see that these, these non-corporeal entities are interacting with mankind in some capacity, right? 
the, now that again, this kind of goes back to where do the unclean spirits came from? You'll never see it in the, the Bible we have today because it's been taken out. It's in the books that the Hebrews used to have, but in the American Bibles, it's been taken out. It tells you literally they're the disembodied spirits of the giants from before the flood. And they were very, they were unclean because they weren't like the spirit of a man, which was supposed to go to Sheol. It literally tells you this in those books. They're instead of going to Sheol, like the, the spirit of a man would do, the soul of a man, they were left upon the earth to torment, oppress, attack, and tempt mankind. So angels bred with women, and when they died, when the when the offspring died, their souls God couldn't make their souls go to Sheol or he, he, it says it says nine tenths of them were were sent to um the the pit, the shul, mm -hmm. uh to their their holding cell, if you will. But one tenth of them was left up on the earth to do what I just explained, what we that's see true. happening in all throughout the scriptures. They're, they're messing still the God's will for that to happen, I guess. Like Yeah, technically. And they're under the control of the enemy of under specifically Satan. This is this these these are his messengers. So this is another thing that you don't see in the canon of 66. You don't see anywhere for it to say that Satan caused a third of the angels in heaven to rebel. So think about that real quick, Jared. It, there's myriads of myriads of angels, likely trillions of them. And so they're up there in heaven where everything's perfect. They're in the presence of the almighty Holy Father. And is it really plausible to believe that we have to to interpret that verse in Revelation where you're talking about to mean that a third of all of those trillions of angels left their first habitation, re rebelled against God. Is it, do you think a third of all of those trillions of angels did that? Let me put it this way. The name of Satan prior to his fall was Lucifer. This is a name given by, oh, I mean, guys don't believe that. No, sir, the, the Isaiah 14 in the New King James and the King James is the only place where the name Lucifer is used. And okay. it's uh, in the context so, that it doesn't. Aside, do you guys believe that Lucifer had a, re a loving relationship with God before he fell? Satan. Well, Satan. Satan. Yeah. yeah. Do you I guys think Lucifer is just the, the Latin transliteration from, from Jerome? What? I think the word Lucifer is just a Latin transliteration from sure. Jerome's Vulgate. Whatever you would like to name him. Um, yeah. So do you guys believe that Satan had a relation, a loving relationship with God before his fall? Yes or no? I believe, yeah. As, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but yes, to some degree. Jubilees chapter 2, to all the angels in heaven were created on day one. Yep. So it, the, the word says that he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. Perfect. Where? Yeah, uh, they, believe, they believe that's the king of Tyre was in Eden and perfect. And yeah. <laughs> all right, no. uh, anyways, if he did have some sort of relationship with God, right, and then he became jealous of God, then he became so demonic and so deceptive that he was able to deceive the angels in heaven, which led to the fall. And the third, yeah, definitely think of. How many people got in onto the ark? Eight. The rest of them were deceived. How many people escaped Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, technically four, but his wife got a little bit salty. She turned around. Uh, his daughters were a little bit freaky deaky up in the mountains. So a uh, lot was, I don't know, barely saved and says that many are called, but few are chosen. The road is narrow. And you're, so you're talking about humans, though, uh, as opposed to the actual angels in heaven. Um, 
So like we're talking about uh, an angelic being that was like right there next to God. And if he, if he says, look, God is not who you think he is. He's been hiding stuff from us. We can evolve higher than him. He's trying to keep us prisoners here. That'd be like the vice president telling you that the president is corrupt. Would it be believable from him? Probably, yeah. Let's let's look at Satan, a verse that talks about Satan real quick. And let's go there together so that we get too far off on this. Um, this is for, exactly what I was thinking of. Cool. For the people watching right. as well, because um, you guys, you remember, just have to remember, people in the audience, they don't study the Bible like we do, right? Okay. So, well, I hope they do. You know, I think I think uh, Jesus wants everyone to be studying diligently to show right. them the truth. And it just shouldn't be for guys on YouTube. Honestly, I think all of your audience should be Sabbath proclaiming people. Make those YouTube channels. Uh, go to the Sunday churches in a Christ-like manner and share the 10 pillars of faith. Yeah, 100% agree with you, brother. Um, now, my particular audience, there's a lot of people that are very savvy in the word. They've been studying it for a long time. But I'm just saying there's there'll be possibly thousands of people watching this. Not all of them study it to the same diligence all four of us have. So real quick on screen, Job 1, verse 6 through 9. Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's, that's the word Benah Elohim in the Hebrew. It's only ever used of angels in the, in the Hebrew. They came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And, the Lord, and Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So if he fell from heaven... Why is he back up there presenting himself before the Lord? Because he had free roam for a certain time. Where does it say that? So all I'm trying to say is, guys, this is the story we were told to. It's a very difficult verse to even break into, even, even for a Seventh-day Adventist to really explain this one. Because honestly, uh, the Adventist view of the sons of God is going to be probably a lot different than how you guys would view it. So... Um, Probably not exactly. So it, does, does the Seventh-day Adventist view of the sons of God line up with this passage in verse 6 here? There's, the Seventh-day Adventist lines up with the Bible, yeah. If you like in quotation in your Bible app type sons of God, you might see these two. or But all throughout the Testament, it's going to be like Adam was the son of God. Yeah. You have the power to become the sons of God. And, you know, over and over, it's like believers. But, but in this text, we just read the verse. I mean, I guess we got, we all want to stick with what the words say, right? I mean, like in this. Yeah, text, they are the sons of God. Because, but here's another right. idea. So, you can look at this. This could be other beings that God created. Maybe maybe this is a, like a United Nations type meeting and Adam was supposed to go here. But instead, Satan did because he took over Earth. But these sons of God were other Adams because Adam was the son of God. So other Adams of other worlds. You know that Paul talks about that there's other worlds out there, unfallen beings. You would agree, Satan's an angel. That's just another. I'm I'm just saying it's not like this is impossible to see another way. Sure, there's there's lots of interpretations out there. I'm sure, of course, but have, the, we, have we gone over everything? We're at an hour and fifty eight. I mean, I can keep on going, but I want to be able to deliver to your audience. Have we been have have we been able to hit? No, uh, I think we got to talk about when the New Jerusalem descends and the laws of Moses. Those were some of the big topics I was looking forward to talking about. Yeah. All right. Sure. I so, think uh, first up, sixteen would be uh, Mike, Mikey, and I's view of when the millennium begins. The millennial reign. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let, let I, I, I did have a question though, uh, Wes Blaze. You mentioned something about it was interesting to see that Christ was returning with some beings or something. What was that about? My quest. Oh, a, a post I made. You said. No, no. You, you just said it earlier. There was a verse on the screen. You're like, I thought it was interesting that Christ was returning with. I don't know if it said his no, I didn't say that. I read what the, the word said, where they said that uh, he will bring with them those who sleep. And so. Uh, what What's the timing of that? Was that the second coming? Yeah. So he brings up and it, and it goes on to say even that the dead in Christ will raise out of their graves. And then oh. those that are alive will you know, follow them being okay. given a little body. I believe that. I thought you were saying that he was descending from the clouds with dead people or something no he descends from the clouds with angels so on this uh picture that's behind me actually resonates with a lot of seventh day of venice it's a it's actually a big thing to us with christ coming in the clouds it's supposed to be uh first thessalonians 4 uh what we were reading and you know with christ coming in the clouds with his angels and then you have the dead that are in the graves being resurrected and then the living will be resurrected after but Anyways, I just thought it might give some context to the uh, pick behind me to help because it relates a lot to what we're talking about. And that's why I picked it out. That's a good representation of what it might look like. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful day. We all look forward. Paul calls it the hope of glory. Yeah. Great. Well, they have the Lord. I can't wait to see you guys there. I know, man. Awesome. You what? I can't wait to check out that tree of life that comes down and splits into two with the river flowing through it. 12 different kinds of fruit. Oh, man. Oh, so then you said a minute ago when the when the millennial reign begins, um, would you all agree that it, it, it kicks off at the seventh trumpet there when Christ returns and that resurrection happens? Yep. Amen. Yeah, okay. it Good. starts immediately when Christ comes. And so what is what is the reign over and what is being reigned? Who is being reigned and what is the reign over? Uh, I have to bring up the verse. So well, do you want to go to Revelation 11? So it talks about us being the judgment was given unto them. Are you familiar with that part? And judgment was given unto them. I wasn't mentioning that part, but go ahead. Uh, well, I, I knew Sean, man. He, I figured he'd be like, yeah, that's very. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find it. Much angels, I know that much. That. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't get an origin for that that story in the the modern canon of sixty six books either. Of why we would be judging angels in the first place? Probably because they're fallen. Oh man, I can't. So what I was going to say is, you, you were talking basically. You're saying, who are we going to be reigning over? Right, is what you're asking. Yes. So, so I believe when I read the scriptures, it says that when he comes, the wicked will be consumed by the brightness of his coming. So when he comes, the wicked slain. But it says that we will be changed and caught up to meet them. So if we're caught up and the wicked are slain, that means the earth has no living beings on it. So then who are, no, who are this? That means that I have to question who are these other people that the scriptures keep talking about over and over again from the nations that are coming to the new Jerusalem, that come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Zechariah 14, that come. That's the new earth, right? To be judged. That's the new earth after the millennium, I, I would say. I don't agree that it's after the millennium, though. We would have to bring up the verse, and maybe we could be able to. Kind of yeah, but the reason I was bringing up the judgment was given unto them is because you're you're saying who who will be reigning over. I think we are the jury. We're we are we're judging the wicked when we come back because it says the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years is finished. 
that's when the thousand years is over. We're coming back down. The righteous are raised from the dead to be judged. The wicked are. Where does it say we come back down after the thousand years are over? It's going to be sure. the city that comes down after the thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. Where where inside that city. Yeah, but where does it say that, though? Oh. That's yeah, that's definitely something I was interested in. And I know you guys believe that the New Jerusalem does not descend until the after the thousand years and that the earth is completely desolate. So I wanted to know what scriptures do you guys lean on to to uh, Jeremiah 423 is a good one that talks about the desolate earth that God will not make a full end of. So it talks about the cities are broke down, the birds have fled away. So this is clearly after creation, even though it says the earth was without form and void. That without form and void is uh, abusos, which just means desolate, an abyss. So the earth is going to come to a point where it's a desolate abyss. It even uses the word desolate. The cities will be broken down. There is no man to be seen. The birds are fled away, but he will not make a full end of it, even though this is God's wrath. We know that when he comes, it's, you know. To me, that says he doesn't kill everybody. <laughs> Why is that? He doesn't make a full end of it. When's that? No, yeah, he won't make a full end because he's going to recreate the earth. Destroys everything on the earth. I mean, no, that's why there's survivors of the nations that come to Zion to learn the Torah in Isaiah two two through five, also in Nahum one four. And yeah, so, I Isaiah, man, I I don't know. I I admit I do not know like the timing of all this, but to me it it just we've it done feel like it described the new earth to me. Yeah, that's, I've actually done a full Greek breakdown on Revelation 21 and why people think that, because they think Revelation is chrono chronological. No, it, no. It's no, just not. So when people read to the end of Revelation 20, they think that's the end of the linear reign, which is what it describes, because it goes through the storyline of Satan being locked away and then released, and then what happens at the Great White Throne Judgment. But people immediately assume Revelation 21 is chronological to chapter 20. But instead... No, like uh, repeat and enlarge it it often keeps repeating the same thing and then showing you more right it does i like to think of it as different camera angles and like recaps of showing you different yeah, guys, like the gospel is written by four different people you know this is why it tells us after it describes the new heaven and new earth which in the greek this is not the word neos it's the word kainos so it's not it's not new as it never existed before it's the word meaning refashioned or re-innovated renewed it's yeah. renewed, yeah, right? Eden restored. So, without go, I mean, it was a forty-five minute breakdown I did of the Greek in this in this whole video that I previously made on this. But um, I go through it and I walk through all. But to give you a short summary, guys, the uh, Isaiah thirty-four four, Matthew twenty-four and twenty-nine, Revelation six eleven through fourteen, the firmament's rolled back like a scroll when Yeshua comes. It's going down through it. Why would that need to happen? I, I look at it as this, is if the angels and Yeshua are Elohim, spirit beings made of water and spirit, capable of already going through, back and forth through the firmament, then why would it need to roll open before they come back? I think because something massive and physical is going to come down behind them. and they that's, that's what this chapter says. That's the whole purpose of there's a new, it's a renewed heaven. And the, just literally Matthew Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is what calls it the kingdom of heaven as the new Jerusalem. It's, it's, it is going to be, there's a renewed heaven. It's a refashioned heaven because it has to be rolled back. That's why it says the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. This earth the word in the Hebrew or in the, in the Greek is just a word for land. 
So when you see in the English and you see the word earth, you're thinking most people think ball in space, but you're probably thinking the entire existence of the livable space of the plane of the earth, but that's not what it's saying. So it's, it's saying there's a renewed dome because it has to be rolled back for the new Jerusalem to come down through. There's a renewed land. That is the, the Zion, the new Jerusalem, which I was going to read earlier from Isaiah 54 of how it has to be renewed, why it needs to be renewed because it's a part of the storyline as our inheritance, which is exactly what it says when it gets down here to verse six and verse seven, where it talks about the, the springs of the water and life are there. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. Guys, you and I have overcome. We inherit this. We all know this, right? The new Jerusalem's. Okay. But if you go down further in the chapter for more context, you see this city after it's described, it is the place where the father and the son are. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, which in the Greek is their monetary wealth. So who are these people that are nations that are coming to the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, because they don't live inside of it. If they're nations outside of it, we see that the word the nations is always referred to everybody other than God's people. The Israel is God's nation and those that are of the nations are the Gentiles. I mean, it's we don't live in Israel. It's just symbolic right there. Um, if you look up the word nations and then you look up the word kings, is it literal nations and literal kings? Yeah, yeah. That's what we're here to tell you. Yeah. So, so we know that the New Jerusalem will descend in a certain place and there's going to be a place. I mean, we, we live in America. We don't live in Israel. So, I mean, we're going to be part of the nations outside of there, right? Is it a literal sun and a literal moon in that same verse? Yeah. It's the nations we got. Remember, Revelation is just repeating what the prophets have already told us from that. From the yeah, Old yeah, totally agree. Old and New Testament. So if we, Daniel, we go to two, seven, eight, eleven, everything. We go to. Um, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. But you guys were saying that the uh, wicked is left alive on the earth. No, sir. Um, no, so here's something that I thought was really interesting when I first recognized it and. Earlier, we were talking about it. I mean, I don't believe that the wicked are left on the earth at, at all either, but I, yeah. I, I thought that that's what you were saying. You're all right. You're all right. Real quick, I found it really, really interesting when I noticed that everybody talks about the, the two groups of people. You got the people that make the resurrection, that are given glorified bodies and go to heaven, quote unquote. And then you got the people that are taken out, killed at the brightness of his coming. The angels come in and do battle with them, wiped out, right? Well, you also have a third group of people that I can't help but notice that are not in either of those two groups. And nobody really talks about these people. And so I, I, I love that we're here to introduce you guys to this because it is what the, what the word says. So let's look at what you're about to show, Sean. Well, this whole chapter here in Isaiah 60 is talking about the Zion of the old Testament, which is called new Jerusalem in the new Testament. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. It's truly beautiful. It talks about the same ideas. Arise, your light shine. Uh, light has come upon you. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, behold, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will appear upon you. This is why the nations will walk in its light. Um, the nations will come to your lights, the kings to your, the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. That's us, the resurrected saints being carried by the angels. Matthew 13, 32, the new Jerusalem. They will see and be radiant. Your heart will be th will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. 
the multitude of camels, the young camels of Midian, Ephah, those of Sheba, they will bring golden frankincense and bear good news to the praise of the Lord. It goes on to continue and metaphors talk about the flocks of Kedar, the rams of Midian. They'll grow up in acceptance on my altar. And I shall glorify my glorious house. Here's another resurrection reference. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their lattices? That's as 26, 19 to 21. That's the resurrected saints being taken to their, their rooms in the New Jerusalem. Surely the coastlands will wait for me. The ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and gold with them. The name of the Lord your God for the Holy One of Israel, because he's glorified you. Glorified is to be made better than before. Right? This is what happens to Zion. To the, by, the, by the way, guys, I, just shortcut. I've done entire videos to show you all throughout Scripture that the New Jerusalem is just the return of the Garden of Eden. And Isaiah 59 and chapter 52 and 54 explain how it's just, really it's just been enlarged and made bigger to accommodate everybody the first resurrection. So yeah. what, what you're reading is people who are like seeing these other beings fly around and stuff. Like, so you're talking about physical humans and then they're seeing mortals. like people. Yeah. Yeah. So, mortals versus immortals. Yeah. 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 So on the day of the resurrection, yes, the people that don't get resurrected, they're definitely going to see us going up to the air to meet him and it's coming. Yeah. So, so because we have real... all this literally, then do we have to take verse 16 literally? Sure. Let's look at it. See what it says. Okay. Do you, I mean, do we, do we take that literally? Do the, do the nations have teats that produce milk? The women might would, right? Yeah. Well, it says the breast of the Kings can. Westway is going to get us pulled from YouTube. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm trying to help him out with the little. Yeah, yeah, brother, you know, this is, you know, like all throughout this, like I just said earlier from that other passage, the, the flocks of Kebioth and the Rams of Nebioth, like these are metaphor metaphors, right? We understand that they're the Hebrews, Spoken great metaphor all the time, mix yeah, it yeah. in with, with their literal descriptions of things. There's a lot of literal descriptions in here. Your gates will be can openly continually. We see that also in um, Ezekiel 45, describing the New Jerusalem. This is a beautiful, a beautiful description. There's the New Jerusalem is described everywhere in the Old Testament and specifically a lot in Isaiah. So the whole concept is even here, and this is the interesting part, right? This literally will tell you about those who are not resurrected, who are still mortals that will be outside the city. And this is the same mortals that are brought before Yeshua in Matthew 25, 31. It says, verse 14, the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now the Holy One of Israel, I would put forward as Yeshua. The city of the Lord, that's the New Jerusalem. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's our inheritance. It's called Zion in the Old Testament, New Jerusalem in the New Testament. This, this is literally the, this is guys, what I've tried to share with people is the greatest fulfillment of God's, of Yahweh's Torah, mm. which J James tells us in James chapter one, verse 27, that this is pure and undefiled religion, that you would care for the widows and the orphans and be un untainted from the world. All the people that go at battle at the battle of Armageddon to try to fight against Jesus at his return with the angels, they're destroyed. Right. We already talked about that verse second Thessalonians eight or two verse eight and nine. Mm -hmm. They're destroyed. They're, they don't they don't win that battle. But that's just the people that came to attack. In Revelation 16, those those spirits from the, the beast, the false prophet, and, and the dragon that go out like three frogs, like demons, to, to gather the, the ten kings armies. And then the, the armies of the nations come together at Armageddon to fight. And this is what happens. The battle ensues in Revelation 19 between Jesus, the angels, and uh, the beast, the false prophet, Satan, 
the you know um, the war the all the tribes of the earth that came together to fight against him at his coming. So he wins that battle, obviously. Satan's chained up and locked away for a thousand years. Beast and and the uh, uh, false prophet are thrown in the lake of fire and destroyed immediately. Right, and I would suggest so are the unclean spirits, according to Enoch chapter fifty-two. And that way, you have this wonderful place of peace, a millennial reign, where Yeshua has come down and taken out all the bad guys that have actively tried to fight against him. Seven days later, his big house comes down, sits down on the earth. This is why there's a massive earthquake that levels all the, the mountains into the valleys and raises up all the valleys to the mountains because it's leveling out the place where this massive 1,500 square mile city is going to sit directly on the borders that were promised Abraham between the Euphrates and the Nile. So now he's got a proper foundation for his massive literal house to come sit down on the earth. And now this is the kingdom of heaven that all the, the resurrected saints live inside. But there's all the normal mortals who did not make the resurrection, but did not die in the battle or the cataclysmic you know, earthquake that happens on that day. And they're still alive. They have to be brought by ships and camels and goats and whatever vehicle they can find. They're going to be brought to the New Jerusalem because it's literally where they're going to be given food, water and medicine for free to survive. And this I is this is the, the crowd that's assembled like, for the Matthew it, 25 sheep and goats judgment. It just it just like. It's like I can so agree with a lot of what you're saying. And then and then you start. It appears that you start grabbing stuff from other places and then misapplying it. But this is really interesting because I've never heard this. I think maybe, Jared, there's a lot in the Old Testament that is speaking about the millennial reign that you might just not have been aware of that it is actually speaking about the millennial reign. I know you say that we're misapplying it maybe in, in your head, but that's that's uh it's different than what the scriptures are saying. Well, I mean, I mean that that other it's one. Okay, so well, you said the people that um, some about the people from the battle. So these are people who like didn't side with. They weren't deceived, like the number, like the Sanusie, or. Well, that's Revelation twenty, verse seven through ten. That's at the end of the millennial reign that you're just okay. quoting from. What we're talking about is that the the day Yeshua returns through the firmament with the warrior angels, and he comes to do battle. This is there's certain nations of the earth that are gathered together to fight against him but not yeah everybody. i guess this would be a rather new thing because okay so after the thousand years is finished there's a resurrection you believe that's the wicked right being judged well, or what no we described it as as both the righteous and the and the wicked or that's the second resurrection event which is a different context than the first resurrection where that's did we second... see righteous being resurrected after the thousand years sure. that's 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 the key thing for me so Revelation 20, 11 through 15, all the dead are raised. And yeah, all of the dead that are mm -hmm. left over because Jesus already resurrected them at First Thessalonians 4 when he comes up in the clouds. That's so if we're telling he you resurrects the dead and he resurrects those that are alive. So everyone mm -hmm. that is uh, holy and righteous get resurrected, but his brightness and glory and perfection puts all the sinners in their graves. Well, no, because life, life still goes on. This is why I... This, there's who, that's what West Blaze was asking. Who's he actually reigning over for a thousand years? This is why I put this up on the screen for us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Where's his glorious throne? In the New Jerusalem. Jerusalem. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another, a sheep from the goats, right? Mm -hmm. All the nations will be gathered before him. There will be survivors of the nations. This is why it literally tells you in. Zechariah 14, that there are survivors of the nations. What was that, Matthew? What? Matthew 25, 31 through 46. What, what version is it that talks about the survivers? That's I'm, like, I'm, yeah, all of them. 
all of them. Yeah, it's all of them. And it says right here, when they will come about that any who are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and celebrate the Feast of Booths. Sukkot. Yeah. I guess so, Zechariah. Um, so this is saying that... If, if you would keep reading there too, though, but what was yeah. the question, Mikey? Yeah. I was just trying to get a context of what time period this is or what... what Millennial reign. Yeah, this is the after he comes back. The after he strikes all the nations that fight him with the plague, that their flesh rot while they stand and their eyes rot in their sockets, their tongues rot in their mouth. Oh, you see panic. the context of this, Jared? Definitely saying after judgment. I'm I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on Matthew 25. It's all right. Yeah, this is important because this is something I had actually messaged you and showed you, and that you also told me that I had. Yeah, but Matthew 25 is the words of Jesus, and it's really clear. And so I was just kind of stuck on that one. Cool. This uh, is all the word of God. And, but when we go to Zechariah 14, go ahead. Cool, cool. Yeah. So if I could, you don't mind, Sean. Go ahead, Where did you did you finish 12? Yeah, you just pick out and read whatever you want. I'll go. You're good. You. Yeah. So specifically right there, it says, uh, oh, well, after that, Judah will also fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the, the surrounding nations will be gathered gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey and the cattle will that will be in those camps. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations, other versions say the survivors of the nations right there, if I'm not mistaken that went against Jerusalem will go up, up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So we know that the king and the Lord of hosts is at, they are in the New Jerusalem. So these are nations going to the New Jerusalem. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth that doesn't go to the New Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts there oh, uh, to worship the king and the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, there will be no rain on them. The punishment of Egypt and the, the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And then it goes on to talk about uh, sacrifices. So these are all topics that we had, uh, set out to discuss. Yeah. This is feast days, the laws of uh, Moses that many people would call them culturally outside of the Ten Commandments, because we, we do all agree that God had other commandments than just what is listed in the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. Good. So there's there's the Feast of Booths here. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, talking about being kept in the New Jerusalem and other people from the nations going to keep that. And if they don't, there won't be rain for their nations. And it's repeated for us in Isaiah 66, for I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send survivors from them to the nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshach, Tubal, Javan, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory. They will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters and mules and camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. So you're applying this in where in history? This the is core. the second coming. The, the second coming. So there's going to be sacrifices prior to the second coming? No, this is no, yeah. this is the second coming. So is there going to be sacrifices prior to the second coming or at the second coming? When, when his holy mountain shows back up, will they be doing Torah? Will he be doing the behavior of the priesthood as outlined in the Old Testament? I guess that's one of our other topics, right? Right. Yeah, so if we're made priests, what is a priest and what do they do? What is their duties? What are their responsibilities? What is Jesus doing right now as our high priest? Right. 
right. Let's go. You want to go to Hebrews? He's 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 um he's a mediator for the people. Correct. Right. First Timothy two five and Hebrews five seven through ten. He absolutely is our one mediator that we have now. Whereas right. before that, there were uh, there was a whole angelic priesthood that were doing these duties before. Well, are there is there sin that's going to be happening that needs to be? Sacrificed? Remember, yeah, it's the, the the survivors of the nations are still mortal. They still struggle with sin. But 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 uh, First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians one seven through ten talks about his brightness, uh, wiping off, wiping away all that are evil and that are alive on the earth during his second coming. So. How's well, no, he doesn't say that. Over? Well, yeah, it doesn't technically say what you just repeated, though. It, it says that the wicked are destroyed at the brightness of his coming. And then yeah. there's, there's more the wicked description of that event all throughout the scriptures. And that's why I brought the Matthew 25 before you, because that's when the nations after the battle, when the sun is, has descended with his angels and he sits on his throne. That means the city's already descended too. The nations are gathered, and then from the nations, he separates the sheep and the goats. What does he say of the goats? Depart to, you know, uh, they're they're killed by the outer angels, they're judged, right? Into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But to the sheep, come and inherit the kingdom prayer you from the beginning of the world, right? So he to them, he's actually sparing them mercy. They're mortals. He's sparing them mercy. They get to be, they get to literally survive from the, the food uh, that is prepared. That's going to be, well, that's a whole different story, but let, let's, let's go directly to Revelation 22, where it's talking about the city. We'll come back to Hebrews 8 in just a minute. Is that Leviathan? I was just about to say, yeah, Leviathan yeah. behemoth, God created to be food for the righteous. And it says so in, is it Isaiah and Psalms? One of those two says it directly. Yes. For food. So at the resurrection, I think all four of us can agree that none, if in our resurrected bodies, we will not need healing. Correct. I was just about to bring this up earlier. Healing of the nations. I thought everybody oh, would yes. either wiped out or no. they're even a resurrected immortal body. What about the you know those who keep the commandments have right to the tree of life? If we're immortal, mm-hmm. why do we need a tree that's, of life? Well, that's we get the tree of life as our inheritance. Revelation three, that's already given to us. We're already inside the city. But what so you're asking, I'll, I'll, like, I'll get there real quick. I'm trying to. I'm, <laughs> sorry, one second. I haven't made this point real quick. I'll jump to for a few verses down. It's in twenty two fourteen that you're asking about. So. Right here, it says, in the middle of the streets, talking about the city of God, the New Jerusalem, on either side of the river is a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees, not the fruit, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be you and I as resurrected saints inside Ooh. the city. We're immortal we, at that point. We, we do not need healing. need healing. We will be completely healed. As I, as but I you're seeing it as a physical healing instead of a spiritual healing. It says that this, the Lord will wipe away every tear. It's, it's well, more wait, than wait, wait. snap of your fingers. There's there's time and a process. So you guys know that there's no chapters and verses in the Greek texts, right? No. So if we go back just a few sentences from what I just read, we see the city's been introduced. We see the nation walking here. by its light. The nations walk by its light. The kings bring their glory into it. Inside the city, there's no daytime or nighttime. The gates are never closed up. Oh, we read that in Isaiah 60. They'll bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. We read that in Isaiah 66 and Zechariah 14. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. That is those who are doing the behavior of God and faith of testimony of Jesus Christ and the commandments of God. This is why in the next chapter in verse 14, as, uh, as Mikey was asking about, 
This is why it says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Uh, I like the King James Version better because it says, blessed are those who keep the commandments so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates of the city. They have the the right to it, but they have not inherited it yet. Yeah. I used to think that this was talking about the people that made the first resurrection. I see it differently now. Yeah. Uh, Okay. What does it say, though? What does it say, guys? Outside. Are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immorals, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone? Well, that's they're outside of the city. Once when the city comes down, they're outside of the city because only that which is perfect can be inside the city. And that which is outside of the city will be burnt up, perish no more. Well, then before do you do you guys believe that this is the New Jerusalem comes down after the second resurrection or before? Uh, The New Jerusalem comes down after the millennium. It doesn't, but that's what you believe. Understood. So right here we see the murderers and idolaters outside of it. You're saying this is after the second resurrection or before it? Say that one more time. Right here, the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying that are outside, it says, is this before or after the second resurrection? Well, it's well, it's going to be after the uh, second resurrection, which the second resurrection is only uh, well, there's two different kinds of second resurrections. There's this uh, there's the uh, resurrection of the lost and then there's the resurrection of the living resurrection of the living happens at first Thessalonians 416. The the resurrection of the lost happens after the millennium time after the city comes down. Yeah, that okay. So I see what you're asking, though. You're asking if there's these wicked people that are outside the city, is this after the millennium or before? Because According to what I think you're telling me, the second resurrection is unto judgment. And that's when the wicked are thrown into the lake of fire. So yeah. how could they still be here outside of the, the kingdom? Because they're going to be outside of the kingdom and then they will be thrown. Because so it says that they, they in, 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 uh, encompass the uh, camp. They, so uh, they're resurrected the and then they're hanging out for a while before yeah, well, Satan has a is loose for a short season. So in this short season, he he deceives a number like the sand of the sea and tries to take over the city by force. The and those, the same. That's who we're trying to tell you. The people that he deceives are the mortals that have been alive for the whole millennial reign. They're not the wicked that are raised. Not yet. No. Like it, it says the rest There's of the no. not again until the thousand years are finished. Isn't that all the same area right there? Right. Well, no, that's that's why the second ju- the second great white throne judgment happens at the after the the he, Satan's let out and deceives people, and then they are destroyed by fire that comes down from heaven because they attack the beloved city, which is the New Jerusalem. So the second resurrection. So, like it literally tells you in chapter twenty, are being deceived. Hang hang on, Let, let's let's go slower because even I'm not following everything. That's so I know right. the audience. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. the audience is lost. Um, all right, guys. So let's look at seven through ten. Okay, because this this is why Jared, I told you in text, all this stuff is connected. Right, I all agree. Of it, all of it's connected. But but like, you know, just depends upon how you go about making the connections right. and how you view so, the connections. All I, all ahead. I try to do, I can't speak for West Plays, but all I try to do, take the words for their definitions and the context they're given, and the descriptions of the chapter, and and not conflate ideas and pick and pull from different places. I used to do that growing up. I was taught that in seminary. And it only confused me, but line I upon line, to, precept upon yeah. precept. I agree, well, but even in the precept of mercy, you got to look at the surrounding precept and line upon line. You got to look at the context of what's being said. So you get the four <laughs> descriptions in this description, in this context in front of us here. After a thousand years is over, Satan's released from his prison. He'll come to see the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. God, God to, to gather uh, them together. 
I'm sorry. What's up, brother? Verse five. Well, we're, we're you were asking me about the the timing of the second great white throne judgment after Satan's release at the end of the millennial reign. I'm trying to get to it just real quick. I'm just saying two scriptures up. It says the rest of the right. day until the thousand years are finished. Is that just saying it, they won't yeah. live until this happens, or it's not saying they're right, they're being risen right now? No, no, it's just telling you the process pertaining to the context of the first resurrection that it's describing to you in those passages. Yes. But then it changes the context because it gives you a different description yes. by telling you now, once the thousand years are completed, Satan's released. He deceives people. Again, the nations mm -hmm. from the four corners of the earth. It's not a ball. It's four corners of the earth. And then they're brought against the city. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. They come up against the broad plain of the earth. It's not a ball. It's broad plain of the earth. And they surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city. There's two things, guys. There's a camp of the saints and the beloved city. Why? Because the survivors of the nations are living outside and around the city. This is what's explained in the Old Testament as well. And then they attack and fire comes down from heaven and devours them. Did you guys know that that's actually a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 54, 13? Yep. Talking about Zion, where it says, if anyone tries to attack you, they will be destroyed, not because of me, says Yahweh, but because of you. Mm. This is because the kingdom itself is promised. Zion is promised to be able to defend herself. It's a attribute un, very, wholly unique to any other city in, ever in history. This is an attribute that allows her, because since she's literally made of firm material, she's allowed to pull fire down from, from heaven, which is the word for firmament, and destroy her enemies that are attacking her. Jesus doesn't get involved in this fight, guys. Yeah. This is I thought it was really interesting when I realized that the, that statement, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I always thought that was the believers. Yeah. So there's not a connection with five and seven, even though they both talk about the thousand years being finished or completed. How well, that, that? Like you said before, it backs up and expounds, right? Yeah, but it says the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are finished. Then it says when the thousand years are completed. Sounds like mm -hmm. the same exact thing. Well, what does it say in between that, though? Verse six, those who take part in the first resurrection will... Yeah, it's priest of God and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah, that's the resurrection of the saints when Christ comes right. in the clouds. Right. We were. I thought I was addressing the question of the second, the second resurrection at the Great White Throne Judgment after the millennial reign. The timing of who are the immortals outside the city, as we're reading from Revelation twenty-two, fourteen, and fifteen. So that's all I was trying to get at, guys. I was just trying to explain this idea of the timing. And real, real quick, idea. this place. Uh, the reason why uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off with plays, but I'm, I've been trying to get here this whole time. So I'm, know, just, I'm just trying to get to this real quick. So, Jared, the, the question that you had asked, OK, yeah. that West plays was trying to address this this idea of let me go back there real quick. Just give me a moment to change this, change the pages. The, the whole Boy, concept here. You guys are asking about this idea of what is who's outside the city? That was what the initial question posed. Okay. You were thinking it could be the timing of. The people that are the, the wicked that are resurrected that are outside the city now about to get judged. That's mm -hmm. that's what you guys were thinking. And we and West Blazing are trying to explain that this the city, according to all the Old Testament, the city comes down at the beginning of the millennial reign. That's literally how he reigns upon the earth. The meek inherit the earth. The meek don't inherit above the firmament in heaven. The meek inherit the earth. This is why the city comes down to the earth. So before the thousand years? At yeah. the beginning, at the beginning of the millennial reign. This is what kicks off the millennial reign is that the new Jerusalem comes down to the earth and all the nations are drawn to it for different reasons, for judgment and for provisions. So okay? when we so, go up in almost the there, brother, <laughs> almost there, I'm trying to answer your initial question. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the reason why there's people outside the city 
is because these are the people that are that we just read those earlier verses from Isaiah 60, 66, and Zechariah 14. The nations that are drawn, Matthew 25, 31, all the nations are gathered to Yeshua on his throne. His throne is in the city of God. And therefore, they're then judged, right? So I agree that the people that are outside in verse 15 are the wicked. And they're going to be judged as the goats in verses 41 through 46 of Matthew 25. And they're killed. Mm. They will not get resurrected until the resurrection of the wicked a thousand years later at the end of the millennial reign to be judged and thrown into the lake of fire, both body and soul destroyed forever. But not everybody who lived during the millennial reign will be wicked. That's right. They then learn the Torah. That's the whole point of the, the those survivors being judged as sheep. So they will then learn the behavior of God. When Jesus comes in the clouds, uh, you believe that there's going to be a city coming down, right? Behind him. Revelation 21, 1 through 3 tells us. So the word rapture literally means caught up. That's right. That's what we talked about. Are we like being caught up into a city and then coming down immediately? Then there's a reason for that. And I'll go there just real quick. And this is in Isaiah 26. This is why Matthew 13, 30. Yeah. All that, all the cataclysmic uh, wrath of the lamb. The big battle of Armageddon and all that the massive earthquake that Revelation 16, 18 says destroys all the cities of the world. That we're not going to be here for all that. We escape the wrath of the Lamb. That is that is our promise. And this yeah. is where people struggle with that concept of a pre-tribulation rapture because of verses like First Thessalonians 5, I think, that says we are not appointed to wrath. Well, the wrath that we are not appointed to is that day, that moment when the angels and Yeshua come down to rout out the wicked. Oh, this is like a form of a of a uh we're just reading kind of rapture i mean no this is a second chance no huh no no this is just this is what happens in ancient uh cultures whenever a king wins the war he has the word prevail means that you take care of the details after the big battle's been won so the details that yeshua prevails in which we are be under his authority ruling and reigning with him as priests and kings is the details which are the survivors of the nations which Revelation 5.10 says we will reign on the earth. Yeah. Now, do you, wh- how do you guys interpret that if it doesn't mean that the... Because I, will, I believe the earth will be made new after the thousand yeah. years. We will be on the earth. I just, I think that when we're in heaven, it talks about the books are being open and we're going to judge and all that. We, we're, we're trying to get all the facts. We're, we're investigating. We're like, well, how come Pastor Bob is going to be destroyed? Well, let me show you what he did. So that when we come back, we can we can rightfully judge the wicked. If we so, don't know the case, how can we even judge? So let me ask you this. If we reign, if we don't come back for a thousand years and we don't reign on the earth, like Les Blaze just read, mm-hmm. then why are we said to do exactly that? Because in Revelation 20 verse six, you're talking about ruling and reigning and judgment is given unto them. We are judges. We're in, we're going through the books. It says the books will be open, but we're well, talking about we, 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 you, know you will judge even angels. Yeah, that's First Corinthians six three. I'm just saying here in this moment here, we're talking about the timing of where where does Yeshua rule for a thousand years and who rules with him? Mm-hmm. And this is why it tells us we rule with him on the earth and and on the earth and both places we're looking at, and we know that Yeshua rules for a thousand years on the earth. I've seen it say that. Okay, where where is it? Blessed and holy are they. Blessed and holy is. The one who has part in the first resurrection over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will rule or will reign with him for a thousand years. It doesn't say on earth. Though. I said 510 does say the earth. We will reign with him 
and we shall reign on the earth. He has made us, he's, he has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we will reign with him on the earth. So here's the here's the big question I have, I guess, for both of you guys. We'll what, what, I mean, that. I can agree that we'll reign with God on the earth, but not until after the thousand years. Why? Who are we Why? a priest? What's the word? What do you guys, when you hear the word priest, what do you think the word priest means? Well, we are all called priests. Well, but what does it literally mean, though? Well, it's Christ. Christ is the high priest. He is. But what does the word priest mean, though? Go ahead. Like one who knows the scriptures and stuff, right? And teaches the scriptures. There's that. That's uh, Malachi two four through eight. But there's also Exodus twenty eight one, Leviticus uh, eight verses. I think it's seven through fourteen. It's it's someone that knows the Torah, that knows God's instructions for living, the behavior of Jesus, and can teach it to others. And they're also given a position of rulership and judgment. So there's a threefold aspect to a priest. See, so I can agree there because I do agree that the priest will be judges during the thousand years. But what, but what do, what kind of judgment do you think that that priest is going to be doing during the thousand years? Because you don't think that judgment you, of the wicked. The wicked's not anywhere near you. You're according to your theory, you're in heaven during the yeah, thousand years. But, yeah, they're dead. You can't rightfully. So then what are you yeah. judging? <laughs> they yeah. don't, they're not standing before you. Look, like if if. If I'm if you're dead and I'm going through your books your of your life, I'm judging you. I'm trying to make is Sean going to be destroyed or is he going to make it? I need to see why he's going to be destroyed. I need to know. Wait a minute, brother. You're 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 okay. There's only all judgments given to the Son. Okay, so we have to now we have to look at the context of how the word judge is used in the New Testament. It's just like John chapter five verse thirty eight and also Revelation twenty verse eleven through fifteen. All judgment by the Father is given to the Son. The Father doesn't judge any man. Only the Son will judge them. And we see that happening and fulfilled in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. All the books are open before the Son, and He judges everyone. You and I are not going to be standing there judging the eternal damnation or eternal life of, of any person or angel. I think the, it was more like I think a, I think I think the, the context— the, I'm of, almost done, guys. The, the judgment that is referred to in the, in the passage we just read in Revelation 24 through 6, that's also referred to in 1 Corinthians 6, 3. This judgment is that we are priests. That's people that judge and render decisions according to God's law. This is what's explained literally in Isaiah 2, 3, and 4. So it's not we're not judging people's eternal souls. We're judging their behaviors and helping them do better behaviors according to the priests were supposed to do in ancient Israel, but they were not often good at doing that. Because priests minister the law, right? They minister the law, yeah. Do you not know judge angels? What does that mean? The, sa- the same thing. Just Okay, so here's the... Yes, we're going to be judging. This is why we're made higher than the angels, just like Hebrews 1 explains that Yeshua in his oh, resurrected right. body, he's made a, he's given into a priesthood that's higher than the angels. This is why it says in verse 7, he's given a name that's better than the angels. It's an authority. That's what the word name means in Greek. It's an authority greater than the angels. We're taken into that same priesthood, that same Melchizedek priesthood underneath the authority of Jesus, which puts us in a position higher than the angels of authority. So therefore we will even judge angels behaviors. We were created lower than the angels, but then we'll be over the angels at the, res- at, at the, the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why it's such a big deal for us. This is why, you know, Hebrews 13 too, even the angels long to look into the affairs of man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we're going to judge them someday and not in their eternal states. That's not given to us. That context is assigned to only the son of God. I definitely we're, agree that we are going to be higher than, than the angels. Right. 
Right. And that's that's why we will, quote unquote, judge them. But the judgment that's referred to according to the Old Testament and according literally to the prophecy that directly speaks about the context of how we judge people. Uh, I'll put it on screen. Just give me two seconds and I'll show you here. This is Isaiah chapter two, verses two through five. And it's a beautiful passage. And priests also minister the law on an altar. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there, Wesley. Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying I'm to like. I'm excited. <laughs> I know, brother. I know. So it says, now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in its paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come, O house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And it goes on to prophesy further, but that's the general gist is this is the priesthood we step into. Uh, go ahead, Jared. What? I'm sorry, I thought you were asking a question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I can agree a lot with that. In being a judge and a priest, um, but what I was thinking about is, we usually use this as an uh, as an analogy of the thousand years and the judgment prior to the uh, judgment that will happen, such as when you go. Or have you guys ever gone to court before, or witness a, the court system? Yes. Um, there's there's the judge. There's the defendant, and then there's obviously the prosecutor, right? And um, the judge goes based off of the jury, and the jury uses the law to help guide them in their judgment. And then based on the jury observing the law, the sentence is death, right? And then because judgment is now given, now the execution order goes forward. And so during the thousand years, you have the judgment. And then after the thousand years, you have the uh, punishment. And, the, and okay, so you, that's how you, you see the idea that the resurrected saints will judge, will, will judge things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then who are they ruling for a thousand years who are they ruling yeah remember that we we rule and reign how good it's in uh revelation chapter three rule and reign with him for a thousand years yeah that that sounds cool whatever that looks like i can't wait to see it <laughs> that it is over the nations the survivors of the nations that survive yeah. the day of the lord who are mortals and did not make the first resurrection. Yeah. I would give him authority over the nations. Yeah. I, I think, I think, uh, I think we're uh, taking it from two different areas, but uh, let me ask you this brother. Why would you be resurrected on the day of the Lord to, to live in heaven? Mm -hmm. Okay. For a thousand years. Why would you, what, why would you, I guess I have two questions, really a two part question for one, which verse actually tells you that. And two, why would you do that? What's the benefit? I, I think it, when you were caught up to meet the Lord in the air, that's where we get the idea that we're going up. 
Mm-hmm. You are for a moment. Yeah. To get away from the wrath of the lamb, to be hidden in your rooms, as Isaiah 26, 20 tells you. But we don't I, need to hide from the wrath. It is, you, when, when does it say we come down? It, when Revelation 19, 7 and Isaiah 4, 49, 14 through 18, as we are bound on the bride as jewels on a bride, we're bound on the city on Zion. But where's the timing of that? You know, it's but before, up, but you're saying we come right back down and I don't see well, it. Technically it's seven days. Cause the, the, in the Torah, um, since you remember, we, we talked about the idea of a priest in the Torah, it takes seven days for your ordination to become a priest. And also we see from Jeremiah 38 in the Greek Septuagint that the, the resurrection occurs on a Passover. And mm-hmm. so then there's seven days after that Passover until the, the second high holy day after uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it just seems to, to fit there. So where's Satan during the thousand years? He's chained up and locked away. Revelation 20. Where? Which, uh, well, that's that's what... <laughs> Where is he actually? That's a great question. Tartarus. I think if we're able to find out where Satan is, then we can find out where no one else is. Revelation 21 through 3. What about that? So what about that? So where is he? Oh. I know where he is, but I mean, where do you think he goes? Huh? I believe he because the lost are laid in the grave, the righteous are resurrected in heaven. And then it says in uh, Revelation 21 through 3 that uh, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And the abusos and the abusos is, uh, you know, even though it's a Greek word, it's very complementary to the Hebrew root word of uh, without form and void uh, or uh, abyss void. And so Jeremiah 423 talking about this desolate earth. I believe that's where Satan is. Also, when the earth was created, it was without form so and void so, so where wait, is wait the place, location without you, the form and void it's are you guys trying to say that satan is on the earth chained up for a thousand years and the saints are in heaven that's right so He's then who 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 in the world is are the saints ruling and reigning with christ for a thousand years on the earth as revelation 5 10 and 20 verse 4 through 6 says well reigning as in we're part of the jury. Like we're, we're going to be a hundred percent behind Christ when he comes and destroys the wicked. We're going to know without a doubt, grandma was destroyed for rightful reason. God is being very transparent with us and and showing us the case why she didn't make it. You know, the question was who will be alive to be reigned over. You don't have, they don't have to be alive to reign. I mean, what does a King do? He's, he's in authority. We're in authority. We're in a place of, there is no authority if there's nobody lower than you. Uh, I'm, what I mean is like we're we are looking at the case and we're saying, yeah, you're right. Uh, she destroyed. She deserves to be destroyed. You know, um, in the in the in the military, being a low-ranking uh, soldier compared to a general, um, you're both part of the same military. Um, you might be a different rank. But who is the head reigner? Uh, well, that's going to be the general, right? That's going to be God. And we are going to be reigning with him. Over what, though? A reign, by definition, implies that you're reigning over something. Like that. you can't just be reigning yeah. with each other with nothing to reign over and nobody to rule over with authority over nothing. I mean, we, we just read from Revelation 2. Rain? I know you're a bookworm. You said where it I says just want to see the Greek on it. Revelation sure. five. Revelation five ten. We'll go there together. Yeah. Basilisusuin. It's hard to say, guys. We 
we've asked this question several times in several different ways, and I feel like we've shown quite a bit of scripture that shows that who is who it is. Who you ran out of. Yeah. To be a king, which means that there are people to be under the king. Yeah. So you're saying a king ceases to be the king if people are dead, even though he still has authority, and when he comes back, he's going to be with the king who's going to judge everyone. I mean, I don't... I'm, I'm not seeing how there's any conflict there. Just because these people aren't alive, you're still the one who is going through their case and you have right. some sort of authority. So according to all the, what you just said, Mikey, and, and, and if we were to harmonize that with everything that we've read previously about all, about all those verses we read about the nations that are drawn to Jesus, the king, sitting on his throne, mm. who's even alive in your theory at the end of the millennial reign to be drawn to him? I don't know. I've never. This is what I'm saying, man. There's there's survivors of the nations, man. Telling you my what I understand now, and I'm seeing things like I want to study this stuff out and see what the timing is. I get it. Isaiah and stuff. To me, that's always been the new earth for eternity. That's when the a kid is playing with a cobra and all this stuff. You know, to me, that was the new earth. Yeah, I think it would definitely. Hey guys, we got someone from Nigeria watching us. Miss you who? Oh wow! Hey, good to see Nigeria. you. And thanks for explaining everything. It's so clear. My daughters oh, are right. so amazed. Wow! But we got oh, people from all over the world watching, guys. Hey, man. Good job, brother Sean. Keep on doing what you're doing, man. Right, bro. Look at this brother holding it down. He's <laughs> buttons and bringing up Bible verses. It's funny. I go into my YouTube analytics and I look at like where the viewers are coming from, and and most of it's United States, but you see sprinkled out Australia, Switzerland, you know, Russia, Israel. It's just people, man. It's amazing the reach you can have on YouTube. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, Mikey, you just said that you you had always believed that some of these passages from Isaiah were talking about the new earth and after the millennial reign, after the second resurrection. So I'm I'm just thinking, then who are these people living outside of the New Jerusalem? coming to the new Jerusalem from the nations. If at that point you believe everybody that was wicked is dead mm. and that everybody that was resurrected is now living in the new Jerusalem. Like we see personally, I, I don't mind living outside the city, bro. I'd be, I mean, are we not going to have free reign over the whole earth? We don't have to stay in the city, right? Well, we'll have a mansion prepared for us. as you Yeah, but I'm, I'm I wonder what I need a mansion for. I want to lay by the stream, man. I, who needs a house where there's no bad weather or bugs or anything? I mean, I don't. I, I personally don't understand the whole mansion part, but uh, you know, I want to. I want to. Well, that's a great question, though, Mikey. The reason why you get a mansion is because you are real. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like Jesus appears in the locked room, and the, and they're startled. They thought it was a ghost, right? They thought it was a spirit, but it, no. He's like, no, it's me. You could touch me. Right. He, he dares Thomas to touch him. He's real. Body. He then he then even asks for food and eats it in front of him. Me, He's oh, real. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to be a ghost by any means. I'm, I'm saying what what is the purpose of a home to protect you from the environment, to protect you from thieves or whatever. But then none of that's going to be there. You know? Yeah. No, well, we read in Zechariah 14 that there will be there will be rain. So there's things you want to be protected from. Which well, the, the reason why I'm saying that, though, Mikey, is, is to say I agree with you, right? In heaven, we don't have to worry about, you know, intruders. We're not going to have like deadbolts, deadbolt locks on our door. You won't have an ADT system beeping at you at night. Like, mm-hmm. I agree. Like, it's going to be a wonderful place. But the purpose is like you, you're a real person. You have a real place that's given to you as inheritance. This is all throughout the Torah is that you have land that's given to you in inheritance that no one can take from you. 
this is the beautiful promise that is layered all throughout the Old Testament that is is how we were ingrained and how we we're woven into us that you know you have something that's yours and the reason for that is because all the application of the Torah of God's instructions for living are fleshed out when you live next to someone who has their own property and their own animals and their own families and their own interactions and business dealings and responsibilities and all that interaction is woven into the instructions we get in the Old Testament uh, that, that Psalm 119 verse 3 calls the ways, the behavior of Yahweh, just like we read from Isaiah 2 verse 4. It's his ways. This is why the nations come to the mountain Zion, to the New Jerusalem, to learn his ways. This is how there's no war for a thousand years, how there's peace on the earth. So the reason for that is because in your resurrected, glorified real body that has the capability of angels to be able to disappear and appear however you want, you'll be able to still eat food. You'll still be able to take a nap if you want. You'll still be able to run. You'll still be able to walk. You'll, you know what I'm saying? All those things, you just have a higher capability that the angels have to move like the wind, right? To like Jesus explains in John 3. So with so, that, you also will be doing your priestly duties, brother. You're, you're, the promise of the covenant is that you get to be a priest, which is a very honored position in the Old Testament with Jesus, who's our current priest right now. You get to be under his authority in this priesthood so that you actually get to do those behaviors. Part of those behaviors is that you literally will bring forward meals to the father and enjoy fellowship with the father. That's a great honor because they're literal tangible meals. So we're living in a perfect world for a thousand years. And then all of a sudden Satan is loosed and, and deceives a number like the sand of the sea. Who are those? No, no we're you and I, if, if we're glorified resurrected saints, which is what my prayer is that we're living inside the city for a thousand years, the survivors who have not inherited that yet because they have not been given their new glorified resurrected bodies yet. They're still in their mortal bodies. They're still living outside the city. That's what we read in Revelation 20, verse 10. The camp of the saints. 16 is the only time that they receive those bodies. Why would they receive the bodies and then later on receive them again? That You're talking about a different people group. You're, you're talking about the resurrected saints. I'm talking about those. The resurrected saints are living inside the New Jerusalem on but the earth. the resurrected dead. I mean, all, all the righteous at that moment are resurrected to Christ himself that had lived that thus far. And I, I, I guess, I guess that's where the gap comes in, you know, well, we're well, one second, brother, I, I was almost done. I'm, I'm just trying right. to explain this idea right. to, to right. take right. us to our, our other topic that we were going to try to cover, which is the applicability of God's law for believers. And will it be kept in heaven? Will it be kept in winter rain? What, is, why does we have all these verses that talk about it? And the idea is that the survivors of the nations who have to come learn it, like we just read from Isaiah 2, because they don't know how to behave, that's they're spared, right? Remember in Matthew 25, the ones that are judged sheep, the ones that are not judged for death, and they're allowed to live, to repopulate the earth, that's when you reign, what does Yeshua say to him? He says, because you did these things, and he lists off four or five things, and those things he lists off, those are all from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. Those behavior of, of God's instructions, God's Torah. Absolutely. Those people reply, when did we do these things for you? And Jesus is like, oh, to the, to my, to the least of my brethren, you did these to, to them, you did these to me. So he's judging people off their behavior. And specifically, behavior that matches his behavior, which he, I think we all agree that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He did the Torah of God perfectly. I can, I can agree like with like 95% of what you say. Yeah, there you go. So then the reason for our priesthood is that we get to interact and teach the nations the Torah, the, the actual behavior they should be keeping. Part of that behavior that they're going to be learning, 
They'll be making mistakes just like we make but mistakes. We should be teaching that now because it's the only life that they have. And then when Christ comes, that's we already are, but, but no other way, second chance. The, the way the the way the scriptures all the verses we've given you they're survivors of the nations yeah the scriptures to me that you gave were uh like again uh, again because the manifest. theory that you've that you've uh countered with has no one living on the earth which which makes null and void the idea that we would rule and reign with christ as priests we have no one to minister to as a priest if there's no one for us to interact with that's the exactly. whole purpose of Go ahead, mikey i have a question so if Jesus Christ died on the cross so we could all, you know, be saved, then and, and we're not doing sacrificial systems now, then how come these people have to go through that? Because he already died. I mean, if, if even yeah. if they are sinning, can't so, they just have forgiveness so, and move on? Yeah, after he died, they were still doing sacrifices. The disciples were still going doing sacrifices. Paul still did sacrifices. Until the temple was destroyed. Yeah. So when the new temple comes back, which is what Revelation 21 talks about, the city of God, which is the temple, the, the lamb and the and the son and uh, the almighty and the lamb are its temple. Yeah. This is why their so behavior. The animal sacrifice was pointing to Christ, the lamb who was slain on the altar so or whatever. There's all kinds of metaphor within the, the typology. The yeah. distri descriptions of how they did sacrifices that definitely point. I mean, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 gives us some of that metaphor. So his but, blood wasn't enough? <laughs> well like oh hang on now wait, wait, wait a christian cross and a catholic cross is that they keep jesus on the cross because they don't accept the blood oh, shit. Uh, we're, we're, no one said his blood's not enough but i'm talking about the practical application of his instructions for how priests behave and we even see in the new testament after yeshua resurrected and ascended to heaven they're still doing instructions with priests and temples and his disciples jesus's disciples are still behaving in that manner they're still offering sacrifices in fact in Acts 21, the disciples tell Paul, we heard a rumor about you that you're telling people not to keep the law of Moses. Prove to us that this is incorrect and go do this sacrifice and pay for the, the animals that it needs to be done for the sacrifice. I was talking and, about this with you, Jared, on the phone call the other day. And Paul does it. Guys, the, the, this is what kind of goes into a bigger eschatology of the, the idea of the temple that was built for sacrifices versus the dispensation of no temple that's prophesied in Hosea and other places. But then the full behavior of God is, is enacted where there's a temple. This is why I went to Hebrews earlier to try to show you what Jesus is doing for us right now in heaven, in the true tabernacle in heaven. So Jesus is not our intercessor right now. He is, but I'm explaining to you the process of what the Bible describes as an intercessor, which is a priest. How is he an intercessor? What does that look well, like? When I look at the sanctuary of the Old Testament and I see what the priest did, um, yes, sir. I see him in the holy place right now, right there. We're at the altar of incense. Well, he's a high priest, so he has specific duties that all the lay priests may not be doing, right? He has specific job functions for a high priest yeah, yeah. that's listed out in exodus and leviticus yeah. it tells us in hebrews 8 in his high priest position now the main point that's been said is this we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister that's a physical job type in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle that's in heaven above this guys when this was being written the temple on the ground was still standing this dude could have been writing this in jerusalem three miles away from the actual standing temple where Levites were doing sacrifices every day. Mm -hmm. He's talking about Jesus already ascended to heaven 
is in the true tabernacle mm-hmm. offering it says which is pitched by the lord and not man mm-hmm. for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer now if you're on earth he wouldn't be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things boom the whole point of what they were doing on the ground <clears throat> was emulating what's going on in heaven this whole time. Exactly. So I can agree a hundred percent there that it's just an emulation of what's going on in heaven, except for the blood that is shed. Christ is that very lamb and God, he's the high priest. God does not accept human blood in his altar. That's a metaphoric reference to the spotless lamb that yes. was required in the law. Yes, so Christ... Yeshua didn't go to heaven with buckets of his blood and start sprinkling on the altars. No, I'm not saying literally. Well, that's, well, well of course, it's a metaphor. That's he, what I'm he, saying. He already shed, shed his blood on the altar of sacrifice, also known as the cross. I don't understand why he was ever called the lamb. Then he should have just been called the high priest. Behold the lamb of God. Right, because the lamb has to shed his blood. And then he does away with the system. No, Wait, God is eternal. <laughs> he tore the veil from top to bottom. I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's, it's done. Yeah. Well, Psalm Psalm 160 says every one of God's righteous ordinances are everlasting. Do you guys think that that is true or false? The way I I have to get to it. You're good. Psalms 119 verse 160 says every one of his righteous ordinances are everlasting. Every one of them. Let me get Obviously, that was a kind of a baiting question because I know you guys believe the word of God is true. Oh, 100%. Man, I tell you what, Seventh day of Venice, we believe in the Bible and nothing but the Bible. Good. Nothing more than the Bible. 119 verse. Which one? The six which, which Bible? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'd say, which Bible, brother? <laughs> The six eleven King James. Wait, hey, let me ask a little side sidebar. Not the not the uh, Catholic books. Now there are some historical accuracy, but just because you know rat poison is ninety nine point six percent good for the rat. It's the point oh four that kills the rat, and just mm-hmm. because the Apocrypha has a lot of historical accuracy. There's also a lot of things. Anyways, that's for a different time. 119 verse what? 60? 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So look, what what I understand is, yes, but it's like there were shadows pointing to, it's just like we don't go around with the, the tent in the wilderness or whatever either. Because that was a shadow pointing to what was in heaven. So just like the whole system was a shadow of what's in heaven, so was the sacrifice. It was they they bonded with this lamb. It was like a family pet. They had they seen it get put to death, and it was a painful experience. That was to let you know that sin requires death, the blood, and it's and it's a painful thing that God had to give up His own Son to do it. But it was all pointing to Christ. They all had faith in the future Christ, whereas we have faith in the past Christ. Go ahead, Sean. Does, uh, does, does Jesus so do a literal job for us right a now? A little bit different than the King James. I don't see ordinances, so I was just what do you see? Statues, you know, trying to trying to stick with one sixty of where we were at uh, Psalm one nineteen verse one hundred and sixty. Just like yeah. I don't see the ordinance there. 
That's okay. okay. All it's saying is that all of God's law is eternal and never ending. Oh, hey, uh, you guys ready? Okay, yeah. So here's the distinction: is you guys believe God's law is just His Ten Commandments, or am I wrong? His ten, His Ten Commandments that He wrote with His finger. Sure. So the, ten, that... go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you, do you believe that homosexuality is still a sin, as per Galatians, that homosexuality homosexuals won't inherit the kingdom? Well, that's Leviticus eighteen twenty two. Not a part of. A lot of people mm -hmm. say I'm loving my neighbor, and they're in a homosexual relationship with him. Yeah, it's not Is that exactly according to God's instructions for love, or did he give right. us detailed instructions for what it looks like? Yeah, there's more than the, than the Ten Commandments. I mean, getting drunk and all that's not in the Ten Commandments. Well, yeah. Don't even look. At, I mean, it says that, uh, I mean, Christ elaborates on the uh, Ten Commandments, you know, saying that even if you look upon a woman. Yeah, it was always about our heart. He just yeah. to remind us of, of that. Yeah, it's, it's Deuteronomy 8, too. It's also but, in I, mean, I don't think that we need to go, you know, 50 feet outside the city and dig a hole if we need to drop a, drop a number two. Well, well, brother, all the commandment, all the instructions that God gave mankind had context around yeah, them. Agreed. Right. Right. Yeah. So for the people in the wilderness traveling two and a half, three million of them at one time, yeah, they need to bury their poop. That was the context of that application. Well, we're well, not in the wilderness. understood the science and the in the context of the sacrificial system was before Christ came. Brother, right? I just read you a Hebrews eight. He's in heaven doing it right now for you. He's literally yeah, your priest. He that's how he mediates for you. So he's he's slaying animals up there. That's that's the sacrifices that Make have to be meals. He he. What, what's the point of a sacrifice, guys? And I'm not trying to be rhetorical or or. Covers I apologize sin. if it comes across condescending. What's the 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 is that the only purpose of a sacrifice in the Old Testament? The He's ability right. for the sinner to make that connection and to con confess his sins. Well, there were also peace offerings, mm -hmm. thanks offerings. There was offerings for, for those are, those yeah, yeah. There's yeah. So those yeah. are those are eternal righteous ordinances as well. Yeah. In addition to the the ones that people messed up and they needed to have atonement for. There was also other sacrifices, which are simply just bringing food forward and you have a cook with a specific so, cooking, cooking surface. And he's making a meal between you and the father as a reconciliation meal. During the time of Moses, they had to take a lamb without blemish. I mean, it had to be spotless. And this is a lamb that they kept in their house. They loved. It's a baby. Where's the lamb that? trusted? I mean, it's just culturally taught. It's not. Anyways, just going on, what I'm trying to get with is, is that they bring the lamb to the altar to have its throat slit for their sins during the time of Moses in the sanctuary in the tabernacle. So this animal, which can love and have emotions and feelings and a connection to a man, that God is creating and killing animals in heaven for our sins right now. What did we just read in Hebrews 8? That he was a priest, high priest. What was he doing? Yes. But he also said he's done away no, with this. No, he didn't, brother. Was he was it literally saying on the page right here? Like, I, I can't, I'm not making this up. I'm just showing he's you. killing animals, though. It, right here. He's the right high here. priest. What is the sacrifice? He's the high priest. What is the sacrifice that a high priest brings to the Father? Christ is our sacrifice. He, he's already shed the blood. There's no need for no more bloodshed. I was taught that growing up too, brother. And and I, no, no. I, I 
heard a podcast you did with this other guy and you, he asked a lot of questions that I wanted to ask about like the blood of bulls and goats and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's in Hebrews chapter nine. That's referring to the, the, uh, the priests, the Levite sure. priests. Needed, yeah. Yeah. It's comparing the difference. What he was saying was he's a perfect priest, whereas the earthly priest had his own sins and all that. That's right. Correct. What, Leviticus like 16. It, it fit with the, the blood and bulls and goats and stuff. Yeah. Like, well, Leviticus Does the 16. Look like the thing that exactly like the thing that cast the shadow? I mean, it looks pretty close, right? I mean, basically, brother. In, no matter which way you want to try to splice that metaphor, it lit, literal words tell you that he has to have a gift of sacrifices to offer. I don't, I don't, I don't see any more blood that needs to be shed. So I, if he's I, in a, if he's in a sanctuary, like it says right here, he's in a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man, because it tells you he's in heaven above, a high mm -hmm. priest in heaven above, and it tells you tell you the requirements of a high priest. They have to have something to offer. What is he offering? It doesn't really. He's our intercession. It tells you literally right here, the high priest appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Mm -hmm. It's giving you the qualifier to help you understand. He's what are in the same grain and burnt offerings and oils and wines? And and animals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. burnt offerings, yeah. Yeah. And that it's word old. sacrifices in the original, it's like it, it has to be a well, yeah. the, the instructions, Jesus isn't keeping something different than what God instructed. He's keeping yeah. his father's instructions perfectly. So all the instructions the for the priesthood on the specific days, the holy days, the feasts that were commanded certain sacrifices for, or he's keeping those specific instructions for each of those specific occasions. Yeah. I tell you what, I've never heard this before, but it's I'm enjoying up. studying this out. This is, this is way yeah. cool. This is, yeah, this it's very, like, never uh, heard this. Jesus Christ. Hey. All awaiting anti-type Jesus Christ. What is that? Hey, if I could, uh, that's a word study on sacrifice. Yeah. So it says all awaiting their for fulfillment yeah. in their anti-type Jesus Christ. Like that sounds like that this is a, an answer type for Christ. It, it's the literal word sacrifices, brother. It's also used over here. Do you guys know they were supposed to put salt on all the sacrifices per Leviticus? Mm. It's being repeated in Mark nine. And to dump the blood out on the ground. Yeah. You know, it's just like this stuff is, is so hard to swallow I know. because when you see like, I know we weren't taught this when we were kids, man. Well, I mean, when I read verses like he's going to wipe away all our tears, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. And I know you said that's for human beings, but it's like, no, I said that's I, for the resurrected saints. I cry over my dog dying, dude. Like, that's I, I, painful when I see an animal die. I'm a vegetarian and you'll have his law written and emblazoned on your heart and your inside parts. And part of his law is, is to have a meal from a, take away my compassion for animals and seeing them. No, it will just give you an importance for who, what he gave us dominion over and what he created these animals for. Like, can you imagine a lamb screaming in heaven right now because its throat being slit? I, I, I can imagine just the just can't was... grab onto it because the, that, the they didn't scream to begin with. By the way, the Lord um, has already screamed from the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Yeah, the lambs didn't scream, brother. I mean, that's a that's a poetic interpretation you're applying to it. But let's read oh, in Matthew 22. Quiet when they're killed. Let, let's go here, brother. Let's is well. Actually, doesn't say in Isaiah fifty three like a sheep led to its shears is silent, right? Like a sheep led to the slaughter is silent. Well, yeah, when it's led, it's silent. Um, I don't know if you've ever killed an animal before. Um, I grew up on a farm and stuff. 
They're um, we know there's a, a there's a place to cut them. Animal, they bleed out. We don't do it slowly and torture them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it, if if an animal trusts you, it you can lead it anywhere. I don't really want my throat slit fast. Uh, just to let you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, the animal does gurgle and make noises. Uh, you know, it's not always immediately you know fast and quiet. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. So in Matthew 22, what what do you guys see that this where when and where is this taking place in Matthew 22? Let me uh, go there, Matthew. And I guess it comes down to do you guys when God commanded His priesthood, which were important people to Him, He commanded them to to slay these animals and do these processes. Do you think that that was wrong and bad, and that's why Uh, He had to do red? I think it was pointing to a very important thing that was going to happen and it needed to be done away with because it was it was i think it was pointing what god's son was going to suffer on that cross and it was a it was it was like teaching them the gospel like we show look jesus died on a cross for you he took this pain for you and they were doing that they were like seeing it though instead of just a stick person like let me show you the gospel they lived it out and they saw it like wow this is what god is going to do this is what the prophecy says you know and then John said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Well, brother, yes, the, the slain from before the foundations of the world. Yes, the metaphor of the Lamb is applied to Yeshua, and those passages also in First Corinthians five seven, and also in Isaiah fifty three, verse ten through twelve. But at the same time, what is actually prophesied beyond the metaphors is that Yeshua, Jesus, would receive a literal job type. And this is laid out in Psalm nine, uh, Psalm one ten, verses one through four, in Zechariah six eleven through fifteen. He was also in Isaiah fifty three ten through twelve because it says he will bear the sins of many. He'll intercede for many transgressors. That's the job of a priest. It literally tells us this is why Hebrews chapter five verses six through ten reiterates those prophecies and tells you Yeshua was meant to become a priest. A priest has specific job functions required of him, and he has to do it in a specific place, which is a temple. So this is this is why all that stuff is laid out in the Old Testament. Yes, it's a, there's wonderful metaphors applied, but our Savior, our Messiah, who literally First Timothy two five is mediating between God and man, is doing a specific job for us on our behalf. Every year he's doing a day atonement, like the high priest was required. Every year, he's in a yeah, tabernacle I mean, in heaven. I can I can see Christ in the sanctuary in different articles, right? He is at the altar of sacrifice. He is our sacrifice for our sins. I can see him at the labor because he was our example and he was baptized. I can see him at the table of showbread because he broke the bread and he said to eat of this daily. Or when you eat of this, this is who I am. I can see him at the uh, at the altar of incense because mm-hmm. he is the intercessor between us. I can see him at the seven branch candlestick because he is the light of all things. And the seven branches, which I believe to be the seven churches are to reflect his light. And I can even see it in the Ark of the covenant uh, in the 10 commandments. I can see Christ in the um, Aaron's rod because it's the good shepherd. Um, I can also see it in, I, I can see him in manna because he is the heavenly gift. So what is he doing when he gets to that altar of sacrifice? Does he just look at it? He's already been there and done that. When? It, it said. That, okay. On the cross. That's not. The cross was never instructed in God's instructions for a priest. In fact, to, to have an acceptable sacrifice to God, you needed a qualified, clean priest who has a pure heart and yep. an outward pure body who comes with a specific animal, specific ingredients, a specific cooking surface on a specific day. None of that applies to him being murdered, betrayed, strung up, crucified, beaten on a cross to death, bleeding out on the hill of Golgotha. So did he have to die? 
that of way? Course, of course, because, of course he did, because that was what was prophesied of him to get to be the first fruits of the first resurrection. So like Hebrews 4.14 says, he can actually have the body needed to ascend through the levels of the ferment to get to that temple I read about in Hebrews 8 so that he can do this job for us on our behalf. So he wasn't a sacrifice for us, though. Brother, <laughs> yes, of course he was. He. This is what uh, he was, the reason I asked was because uh, Wes said something like that to me one time, and I was just like, whoa, that's a topic I'd like to talk about. Wait, no, do you? Yeah. No human blood could be accepted yeah. by God. Yeah. So why was it like by His stripes we are healed and stuff like this? You know, it's always about His blood. By the way, I would like to applaud your audience. It is two twenty-four a.m. and they're just That's kicking right. it with us, yeah. digging into the Word. Uh, the kingdom fam, audience, brother man. Absolutely, we, we just do scripture here, brother. We Amen. People get hooked on the scriptures. Hey, I got on screen right here. I, I love being able to just look at this. This is the most Bible study I've done in a while. Cool. Check it out. Mikey, this is what you're asking about. He was yeah. a sacrifice, and it tells us how. Here okay. in Hebrews 5, 6 through 10, just as he says in another passage, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's him quoting Psalm 119 or Psalm 110, 1 through 4. Mm -hmm. He then says, and in the days of his flesh, he, Yeshua, offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, that's his glorified restate, he became a sort. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Hundred percent, he sacrificed his life. That's why he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. But if it, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, right? Yeah. But he knew he had to do that because he needed to get to this priest position. Guys, let me say this real quick. The biggest problem in the Old Testament was not the animals; it was the men bringing the animals. They always had hearts that were corrupt and full of sin. What the yeah, father needed, that's what why the they, father needed was a pure man, a pure heart. The animals are just the meal that they have in fellowship. Just like in Leviticus chapter nine, after Nadab and Abihu brought strange fire and they were killed from the fire that came out from the, from the altar. So then Aaron, who just lost two of his sons, he then did not do what he was required through his priesthood, which was to eat of the sin sacrifice. He was supposed to eat that meat that was sacrificed to the sin offering. He did not do it. Moses goes up to him and is like, hey, man, why, do you, why didn't you do that? You're supposed to eat this. Like, we just lost two of your boys. You, you might want to, like, you know, follow the rules, right? And Aaron says, it would not be a good thing if I did it on this day. And it says Moses saw that it was a good thing and he agreed. And Yahweh didn't get upset. Aaron didn't get struck down. Because God wants a man whose heart is right to bring forth a sacrifice. Amen. So this is where we needed Jesus, who was without sin, as Hebrews two tells us. He was with, or excuse me, Hebrews four. This is this is why we needed a perfect priest, specifically a high priest, not just a perfect animal. And Yeshua, God does not accept human sacrifices on His altar. That is paganism. So the metaphor applies that Jesus's blood that was poured out on the on the cross is metaphorically related back to the law of animals being slain on the altar. But it's, he's not a literal human sacrifice. He's a literal high priest. He was prophesied to have a literal job function on our behalf. And what does he do? What is the ultimate moment of that job function before us? Is he's making atonement for us in heaven for the last 2,000 years because he's faithfully doing the law, which is what Hebrews says. And then in Revelation 3, 5, on the day of resurrection, he calls our names out before the Father and his angels and raises us from the dead. That is the authority that's only given to him in his priesthood position as prophesied in the Old Testament. And he is faithful and righteous to forgive, should we confess. Yeah. Hallelujah. So 
Why this gets me jazzed up, guys. I apologize if I'm if I'm passionate. I get all jazzed up. Too oh, no, man, guys, it's just, I'm I'm kind of depressed of thinking about this, man. Guys, gonna have to change something in me because I get sad thinking about animals being killed like that, dude. For a long time now, you've been told and telling yourself that it's wrong to to eat animals. I understand. No, <laughs> not that. I'm just saying when I you know I just posted a video of these little chicks that are just getting thrown into a I blender. Yeah, I mean that's painful to me. They're little chicks that mean nothing, but yeah, and they're getting ground up to to barely be used for anything. That's I don't think that's right either. There's definitely a more humane way to go about it, but but it was instant. You know, I'm just saying, like that that wasn't described in God's law, though. That's no. not going to be happening in heaven. Right, and I have yeah. a, I have a compassion for animals, you know, and sure. So, why did God create the sanctuary during the time of Moses? Hebrews, Hebrews 8 from our read, verse 5. It was a copy and a shadow of the things that are happening in heaven. Um, let me get the verse for you. You guys realize that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead no, that's why when Moses was on the mountain and God was showing him the pattern, he said, be sure to, to do it after, to make it after the pattern that I show you. He was showing him the, the real one. Yeah. Um, Exodus 25, 8. Mm -hmm. I'll let you uh, bring that up, brother man. Sure, brother. Hey, I just want to commend both of you guys because, like, you know, before we started this conversation, we all knew that we didn't agree on some specifics. But as we've gotten deeper in the conversation, a lot of other brothers would have already bowed out. So I really want to commend you guys for your, oh. for your fortitude. Tell you what, you know what? Um, one of the very first verses that we read is we talked about um, the dragging or the dragon attacking those that keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. You guys keep the commandments of God and testimony of Jesus. I expect to be battle buddy soldiers with you guys. Things start to get hotter than what they are right now. Whether right. it's whether it's to the resurrection or to the guillotine, I got your back. Amen. Amen. Yeah, bro. One hundred percent. So uh, Exodus uh, twenty five eight. Thanks so much, brother, for bringing this up. This is the main purpose of why God uh made the sanctuary let them construct a sanctuary for me that i may dwell among them i think this has been god's uh focus forever since the creation of man he wanted to dwell with us mm -hmm. and then we filtered ourselves away from him and then he created the sanctuary because mankind has distanced themselves because they're stuck in egypt and sin and then eventually they had time to wander around in the desert for 40 years. And during this time, God built a sanctuary so that he can be able to reconnect with them. And the little uh, items that we find in the sanctuary are little things, symbolic things, so that they can understand a bigger God than what they could grab onto at the point. And then after the sanctuary, God still wanted to be with his people. And that's why he had Emmanuel. Christ with us. I love it because I think it's interesting that he made it so that his presence can come and be with us, not so mm -hmm. that we can go and be where he is. Yes. Because yeah, he knew we couldn't live above the firmament anyway. We were created on the earth. Yeah. So the point of his, when we know he calls his tabernacle in Ezekiel 37, is it? Where he says, mm -hmm. I will, I'll put my sanctuary among them and place my tabernacle in their midst. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say that I will take them up to live with me for a thousand years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh well 
Um, I guess that's where I differ because in First Thessalonians, where it says that we're raptured up, I, I, I don't see any building coming down until after the thousand. But that's besides the point. I think we eventually moved on to the animal sacrifice. Hang, hang on. Let's, right. That's a great segue because we're talking about keeping the, you know, the, the laws being kept in heaven right now. When the kingdom of heaven comes down. That will be done. The law will still be kept in there. And we actually see this in the same chapter or the same book I have on screen here in Ezekiel. And it's going to tie into what you just said, Jared, about, about um, what you think in the New Jerusalem comes down at the end of the middle rain. Well, let's go in the same, the same chapters and the same books that are explaining the kingdom of heaven from chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel. If we go to Ezekiel 47, it's going to be talking about uh, the water and the river of life. And it says, by the bank on by the river and its bank on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They'll bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is the same description of Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Right. The river of life, the trees of life, the leaves are yep. used for the healing of the nations because the nations are interacting with it outside the city because it's here. Because who would need healing if everybody's either gone perished or they've been given an immortal body that wouldn't wouldn't need healing who who needs healing then so i, so this, so earlier, I don't think he answered, like why do we need the tree of life is that that's not for us right well remember we the, the 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 resurrected saints are promised the fruit of the tree of life mm. but the leaves are used for the healing of the nations that's what it says okay so this but is why in this in the context of forbidden to eat the fruit or something like yeah they can't believe. they can't eat the fruit because they're not resurrected um they're not given that that's part so, of our inheritance of the resurrection that we may eat from the tree of life revelation 3 so when does this thing end like do, do these at people the, ever get immortality or at the end of the millennial reign exactly they, the righteous the get their glorified eternal john three sixteen bodies after the thousand years those other people will get their body because yeah, every, everyone Sorry, ahead, the kingdom ahead, and, and God will be there. So it'll be so much easier for people to have faith and the, the law will be being taught by these resurrected immortal priests. So they'll have they'll have ample opportunity, even though there are some that get deceived by Satan. There there will be plenty of people that have ample opportunity to to come to God and be made be accounted righteous in the second resurrection. Absolutely. After yes. the thousand years, what what's the description? There's only immortal beings at that point correct yeah no, no sin anymore yeah. is there going to be any more need do you, do you guys believe yeah. that there's going to be any more need for killing of animals after all sin is wiped off the earth that's part of the eternal law like we were saying earlier not all sacrifices are for the the atonement of sin many of them are for a meal for the feast days what so yeah. after the lost are all burnt up yeah, we'll still be eating and, and enjoying and celebrating the feast days as they were commanded. So Eternal. will animals still be killed? That's what the instructions for the feast days were when there's a temple. Yes, sir. Oof. That's, Remember, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. Jared, show me, show me a verse where yeah. animals are promised eternal life. I never said that animals are promised eternal life. Well, that's, that's the premise that people it says with. That the, uh, the, the lion and the lamb shall lay down with the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what the yeah. child is lying down with a knife in its hand, just waiting to eat. Child's not a priest. He's not going to the temple. There's a process involved in all this, brother. If this isn't, we, we can't just mix all these ideas together. There's a yeah, process. I totally agree. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, um, hey, I think it is getting pretty late, but I think Mikey and I both want to be on again to hang out with you guys and talking about. Yeah. I, I have a really interesting one. Um, in a nutshell, just just paragraph it. Um, Mikey, what do you guys believe in? Um, the mark of the beast. I used to believe it was Sunday worship. I'm not so certain that it is anymore. I don't think I it think, is. Mikey, oh, I don't, I don't think it. I don't think you can just say Sunday worship. I just think it's the commandments in general. That'll be the one where it's kind of like the point of contention or whatever, I guess. But maybe I should say the first beast in Revelation 13. Okay. Who is that you're asking? Who do we think that is? Yeah. Yeah. I actually did a run through of this last time on uh, uh, I used to believe it was the Roman Catholic Church. Maybe maybe we should uh maybe we should talk it up in Messenger and uh find out our next topic or uh maybe the audience would like to comment below and give this a thumb up and well I tell you the audience is telling you guys to come back. They enjoyed the conversation. Um Yeah, man, there's still, there's still 82 people watching, I guess. Yeah. So real quick, I just know that the it says that there's the beast of the bottomless pit that ascends out of the bottomless pit. So that that to me, I do take literal. I don't think that it, it would say that if there wasn't a physical place that it ascended from. Yeah, I think I think it would be uh, uh, awesome if we uh, chatted up on Messenger again, and uh, maybe we can find our next uh, topic uh, to chat it up because I've I've really enjoyed this. I've I've never heard these concepts. Good. And uh, I tell you mm. what, I definitely do like to be challenged, and mm. I'm always open to changing. Okay. I came from the Catholic church. I've dropped everything for the truth and I'm always willing to drop everything for the truth. And fantastic. I feel that about you and I appreciate it. Oh yeah. And definitely you guys too. I heard uh, brother Sean, I heard your testimony. You dropped everything for the truth and you studied to show yourself approved. And uh, I think, I think all of us have a really powerful testimony of wanting to turn away from cultural beliefs and follow the scriptures the word of God only. Absolutely. Like I knew that we weren't going to completely radically change everybody's mind about the scriptures, you know, one to another either way. But I I just think that we can never learn about something, whether it's the truth or not, unless we're introduced to it. So just the fact that you said you've never been introduced to any of these, some of these concepts, that's a, that's a, that's a start. Where would we be if no one, or if we didn't uh, come upon knowing the truth of the Sabbath, where would we be? It would be just, a, just another lawbreaker, right? And uh, but now we're trying to live a life for Jesus. Yes, sir. All right. Amen. Hey, I, I hey really guys, I really appreciate you guys maintaining the fruit of the spirit tonight. Uh, you'll watch some of the previous. Uh, I don't want to call them debates, but just discussions that somehow turned into a debate in the past. You know <laughs> that I've done on my channel, and yeah. some of the people couldn't couldn't maintain that. But you guys did amazing. Uh, thank you so much, especially knowing, I mean, I think it helps to know and talk beforehand, knowing like we do disagree on some things, but it's all good. Like we, we agree that we're all saved by grace through faith. So it's, you know, it's one of those deals. We're all a work in progress and we're all learning this book. And so Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you guys attitude, your disposition and staying up so late. It's been like, Mikey, we broke our record from last time. It's three (laughs) three three hours, three hours and 33 minutes. Wow. So Jared, Mikey, real quick, I've invited both of you guys individually in, when, in passing, when we've had conversations, I've said, guys, I've been studying along with Sean Griffin, Ken Heiderbrecht, their two channels. I've learned more from studying alongside them than any other ministry that I was paying attention to combined. However, I'd like to officially 
more formally extend the invitation to you guys to specifically check out things like Honor of Kings on Sean's uh, channel here in his playlist. Go dig through some of his videos because you guys, if this if this we've been talking about tonight has kind of blown your mind and, and, and been things that you'd never heard of before, wait till you see some of the other studies that this guy has presented and put forth for us to glean from because there's so, so much more. Definitely, definitely. And if I can plug uh, Amazing Facts. Yes. That has a whole bunch of videos in supporting the Sabbath truth and a lot of what you guys believe and um, maybe showing a different view also. Cool. But yeah, I'll to those videos, so make sure you go to Messenger and uh, copy and paste. Awesome. Can we do the Brady Bunch thing? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's a story. Mike, check out. Y'all check out Little Light Studios. Oh, go to Truth to the Youth, T-R-U-T-H-T-H-A, number two, to T-H-A. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> go to that on YouTube. He's got a bunch of good stuff on there. Mr. Jared has a great channel at uh, Bible Prophecy Made Clear. Check out Messenger of the Most High on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, West Blaze Music with M-U-Z-I-K on YouTube. And Kingdom in Context, as well as Hanging on His Words and the Kingdom Cast channel you're watching this on tonight as well. Oh, man, the music on that channel, bro. Which one? Uh, hanging on to his words, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mountains into the sea. Oh, dude. Enough of it either. I cannot wait for the next album. That's Ken, my favorite, man. You put it's me on that. I was just like. He would, he would be here tonight with us, but he's in um, Atlantic time. He lives in Canada on the, on the sea, the Atlantic Sea. So he's like. Hey, he's asleep right now. Like, in yeah. fact, he may be waking up soon. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. So, guys, I appreciate y'all. Uh, let's do this again. Thank you, everyone who's been in the chat. Thank you, guys, for uh, maintaining through the spirit in the chat. Thank you, brother, and, uh, for being here. All right, hey, I really like that. Uh, that's tight, sure, man. We will see everybody next time. Blessings. Blessings.